Have you ever caught a muskie? I have caught a muskie. How does it feel? Because I went with Mitch Petrie today and one followed us to the boat. And I, when we walked into this office today, one of the things we heard from the nice lady out front was, you need to hear so-and-so's, I can't remember the guy's name, impersonation of guys that brag about muskies that follow them to the boat, but they don't really catch them. Is that like something that goes on a lot in this part of the country that they, people actually like get excited because they follow them to the boat, but they really don't grab onto the hook? Yes. You know why? Because the whole claim is that it takes 10,000 casts to catch a muskie. And we all know fishermen, they're all, you know, fishtails are part of fishing, right? So there's a lot of fishtails that happen, be like, oh my gosh, this, you know, over 50 incher followed my lure all the way to the boat and just decided it wasn't hungry. But I think that gets you just as excited as almost having one on the end of your line because they're so hard to catch. And I don't know why you were fishing for them today because it's like 90 degrees, but we'll talk to Mitch about that later. So <laughs> when you say it because it's 90 degrees, you would rather have it be a little bit chillier, colder, winter time. You want chop on the water. You want waves on the water. What, what, what kind of condition sets forth a good day on a musky trip? It's colder weather. I've had the best luck in October and November. Now you suffer a little bit on the boat because a, you got to put in long days to be, you know, have some luck, but um, the, all the muskies that I have caught have been in, in pretty cold weather and they also get, though they get really active after thunderstorms. So if it's a significant thunderstorm early in the morning and you're out on the water, you know, 6am or whatever, right after a storm, they are almost like sharks swirling around, but they're, that's why they're so fun to catch is because they're so elusive. And at times they'll follow your lure 10, 15 minutes, its nose is right behind the bait and it's still not going to eat it. It's like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, I saw that while like they, when it got to the boat, Mitch and he told Nash, who was with us, Jason Nash from Federal Vista, just put the tip of your rod in the water and just kind of do figure eights. Yes. <clears throat> and that muskie just stayed right there. I mean, finally, he didn't stay for 10 or 15 minutes, but he, it, you could tell how attentive he was to it, but he wasn't being real aggressive at no. all. No. Is that because he's not hungry or he's, he's already outsmarted us? He knows that we're standing up there on a boat trying to smoke him. I think that he's just not hungry. Plus it's hot. They get really lazy when it's hot out. That, that's my, in my like experience. Humans, yeah. yeah, like humans. We get really lazy when it's hot out. And I've even, you could even probably poke one with your fishing rod a little bit gently and it's still not even going to move. That's how lazy they get. And if you had to estimate, were you at 10,000 casts or more when you caught it? or were you, Feels your, like it. Really? So like it took, it seemed like it took forever to get your first Years. Muskie? It took years. But since I've been out consistently every year, I have had one on the end of my line every year, but I've been going out with some really good fishing guides too. So I can't take really the full credit, um, but it's been luck. I went out last November and I had one in the boat in less than 10 minutes. And that wow. like rarely happens. It just was total luck. And it was on Halloween. So we're doing like the monster mash in the boat. And um, I stayed out the rest of the day and I had two additional follows. Actually, I had one on the end of my line and it got off. So, but that was, that was luck. And I, I think part of it is luck and part of it is knowing the right day to go out. And also, you know, they're territorial. So you kind of need to know where they're at. And that's the thing with musky fishermen is no one wants to share their secrets, right? People get really possessive about where they're, they caught their muskies because they're, I believe they're pretty territorial and they stay somewhat in the same area. So it's kind of interesting. Musky purists too. You got to get that fish back in the water as fast as you can. As fast as you can. Kind yes. of like when you're, when you're bill fishing for sales or something down in yes. Florida or the Bahamas, they're the same way. Yes. Really, it's pretty illegal to take them out of the water, but muskies, it's not in the state of Minnesota. That's correct. You, you're into fitness. You work out. To me, it looks like when I see these guys or girls... I haven't really seen a lot of girls holding muskies up in a photo. It's mainly been guys. I saw a couple pictures today. 
it looks like you have to be pretty strong and uh, it's almost like holding like a big bat, a chick, big bag of chicken feet or something, you know, like the middle presses <laughs> in. It just looks like they're really like, un, um, help me out with how you define it. It just looks like they're really slippery and you, heavy. And, but they don't look like they have a lot of bone structure to them. Like no. when you hold up a selfish, he's straight across. Oh yeah. It, it, not just, muskies. What is it like? It's like holding a bunch of mush. Kind of. And, you know, to be honest with you, your adrenaline's going. So I think that helps that to be able to hold the muskie up really quickly. And they're just like, bang, 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 take those pictures as fast as they can. And it's back in the water. But in general, the muskie's pretty tired by time you get it in the net and in the boat. So it's not flailing around like a basswood. So, but it's heavy. Yeah. I mean, your arms are shaking and you're like, hurry, take the picture, hurry, take the picture. Well, and then 50 just... inch fish seems like it would be heavy. Oh That's yeah. A big very fish. heavy. Very Have you heavy. caught a 50? No, 46 is my, is the best that I've done Damn, thus far, big. but 50 inches, it's going to happen. And I lost one on Lake Minnetonka that here's one of the fish tails. I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but my fishing guide was like, he thought that was around almost 55. I was so upset when that thing slashed out of the water and here comes the lure flying back and actually hit the camera lens right in the lens. <laughs> how, how, how far was he from the boat or the fish? How far did you get to the boat? Uh, he's probably still like 30 yards. So he was, he's definitely fighting and it literally just came out like a shark and there goes the lure flying. And so what kind I, of, like, what kind of psyche do you have as a fisherman? Does, does that ruin your day? Do you get competitive? Do you get quiet for a little bit and sulk because that happens? Like what kind of, what kind of fisherman are you when something like that goes down? You know, what's so interesting about fishing is people always remember, seems to, they seem to remember their losses more than they do the trophies that land in their boat. Like you remember that cause it's so painful, especially when it's a trophy fish, um, that that sat with me for a while, but I'm not someone that holds on to like. I'm going to pout or be upset. I'm pretty competitive. So you just got to keep trying. Like that's part of fishing. That's part of hunting. The amount of pheasants I miss in the field, let me tell you, like if I was upset about it, I would be in tears all the time. <laughs> so we don't want, we don't want to brag on what shotgun you shoot or the ammo you shoot. Or no, is it I, just can't, I can't blame operator? the equipment. I think it might be operator error a little bit. But. That's interesting to hear you say that about the, the ones you miss or the ones you remember, because fishing is based on I mean, relatively speaking across the country, it's based on lies. You hear a oh, lot yes. of the fish tales are what you're saying. And, of course. you know, the fish was this big and really it was this big, but you, you don't hear a lot of guys brag about the misses because you brag about the ones that you have proof of and you can't brag about ones or get somebody to believe you like, Oh my God, this one was 55 inches and he got off at 30 feet out. But those are the ones that phys or mentally and emotionally stick with you because you're like, what could have been? And it's like yes. anything else in life. Like, oh man, I love that girl. And she broke up me. I wonder what could have been, or man, I almost hit that ball out of the field. And I wonder what could have been if I would have been a, a little bit, had my timing down a little bit more in the base, but whatever. But it's interesting to hear that because I would have the mindset of like, man, that it was, it was so cool getting nine or 10 bass in the boat today. Yes. And these guys, these Minnesotans, these locals, they could not quit talking about that follow. Every time Mitch or Jason would tell their story at lunch or after lunch, having a beer, they just kept talking about that follow and not the bass that we landed sure. or the fight or anything. And I'm like, <laughs> no. what are we doing here? So I see what you're saying. Yes. Make, People love to sense. hang on to the what could have been. And that's probably why country music is so successful, right? There's a lot of songs on based on what could have been with this girl or that girl or like what, what have you. Like which one? Oh boy. Now you're going to make me come up with some lyrics. Um, As she's walking away by Zach Brown. Yes. There you go. Yeah, My heart won't tell my mind to tell my mouth what it should say. Yes. Yeah. That's he a was great with, song. with Alan Jackson. Yes. 
you're going to the concert with us tomorrow. I am. I'm so excited. I don't want to transition out of fishing or, okay. or, or outdoors because I know that that plays a big role in your life. But the more I learn about you and I've known about your family for uh, several, I mean, ever since I've been in the industry, we know who your dad was. You, you hear names up here like Kurt, Kent Herbeck and yes. when you're around baseball or the twins. And I was a big baseball fan growing up and, you know, and Kirby Puckett and, and a lot of the different guys that played for the twins, Rod Carew. And then in the outdoor world, it was always your dad, Ron Shera. And he, he's been very successful in, in, in outdoor outdoors. He's, he's known in my opinion as a walleye fisherman. I love walleye. I love to catch walleye mainly because not the fight or the excitement or the adrenaline rush, but because of the after party. I love to eat walleye. I think it's so probably good. the best eating fish in North America. In my Absolutely. opinion, that or maybe crappie, yes. um, maybe a redfish or a speckled trout in, in Louisiana. But Laura, I'm telling you, like I've had halibut. I love halibut. I think in all of the United States and I don't consider Alaska, obviously it's not considered the continental, but in the continental United States, I don't think there's a better fish than walleye. Walleye yeah. is very good. Now, when 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 you start thinking about you know what you do as as a woman in the outdoors, and you've had that upbringing where you know you hear the name Ron Sheridan, the first thing that comes to my mind is walleye. Do you try to break out of that growing up and try to get out of that realm of just the walleye fishing, and you try to spread your wings a little bit more, or was it something to where you had you? you you, I, if I was you, I would have taken so much pride in, in being a walleye fisherman. Do you do that? Because I know your dad does. And what explain that a little bit. I don't know if that makes sense the way I'm wording it, but is that your number one go-to in your outdoor right now is walleye? Or would you, does all of it, you know, bring something to the plate for you? You know, what's interesting is um, I, this is officially coming out. A walleye is probably my, I love to eat it. I think it's delicious. I don't, it's not my favorite thing to fish for. And the reason being is I, I love playing my own game of how accurate I can get with my casting. So I love topwater uh, fishing for bass. And I really am hooked on fishing for muskies because it is the, it's the chase and the, the dream of getting, you know, the big muskie over 50 inches. And growing up, you know, my family, we, we really did a lot of different things in the outdoors. You know, my dad was, is a huge turkey hunter um, he's a big pheasant hunter and he's also, you know, obviously a big fisherman, but it wasn't just walleye that we went fishing for. He's definitely into bass, musky, northern, you name it. Um, so we really experienced a lot of different uh, genres of things to do in the outdoors. So I can't say it was one thing that really sticks to mind as, what, as far as what's my favorite, but, um, you know, walleye fishing is definitely a Minnesota staple and people here love to fish for walleye. And I actually just, if we're just going out fishing just to catch fish and release fish. I will pick bass any day. Just because of the fight and the, because and the, of the fight the casting and the, the casting. The, yeah. Like, and that's kind of like out West. And I'm sure there's some here, but fly fishing where I'm from is, is the go-to. Yes. That's the staple. Small Creek, small body waters, mm -hmm. rivers, rafting, floating, and, and obviously presentation and casting. And there, it's kind of like hunting. You match the hatch. And I, with bass, it's all about, you know, that application of being able to, the presentation of laying it down across the water yes, and, and getting that bass to, you know, think that it's authentic and real as you, as, cause they're pretty aggressive. They're, they're Very like real, ter real territorial fish. Yes. And that's why I was Especially so. Especially on top water. It's like dynamite going off. Yeah. That's so I, I need to catch a muskie because I, that we'll get back to what we were talking about. I, I felt like the bass today were awesome. I would get a little nibble and then all of a sudden you get that bite and you set the hook and we're in, you know, you're, you talk about, 
you know, precision with your casting around the, the docks and around the piers and around the bridges. And that's what I was loving. I'm like, Mitch, let's stay right here. They're biting. And I was trying to cast, you know, and trying to lay it down perfect and yes. trying, you know, like, like trying to better myself and working on something to where as opposed to the muskie was just like, throw it out as far as you can. It was heavier. Yeah. I probably had in, and uh, Mitch will tell you this. We took pictures. Tom might be able to bring it up, but I have, like, I created the worst bird's nest that Mitch said he's ever seen today on, his, on, a, on a bait caster. Yeah. Love like it was it. the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. And I'm like, will you please try to help like, me get this no, out? No, I mean, I didn't do that. He would, he couldn't get out. He worked on it like 30 minutes. He oh, no. Oh, He's no. So you, you talk just a little bit. I don't, I don't want to go into it in debt, but your dad, your dad brought you up in the outdoors and yes. you have siblings, you have a sister. Yes. And do you get, get compared to Ron all the time? Do people come to you and, and, and say, Hey, I know who your dad is. I was just talking to this guy named Kirk Nesbitt. He's a very well-known dog trainer lives in the West United States. He's been in the, he's had so many dogs qualified for the grand qualified all ages, very good at, at field trials. And, cool. and every time somebody sees him, they're like, Oh, you're less Nesbitt son, because his dad was a very prominent businessman in our area. He owned construction companies, duck hunter, travel the world. He's in the North American big game club for the, uh, North American Grand Slam. He's completed it with cool. um, harvesting all Boone and Crockett mammals in North America. His dad is. So they're like, oh, you're Les Nesbitt, son. Do you get that a lot? Oh, you're oh, I get that son. every day, yes. But, but you I kind- love that. That's an honor for me, you know? That's awesome to hear. Yeah, like that doesn't get old. Um, my dad has worked really hard and he's um, at what he's done over the years and he deserves all the credit. And he also um, is a very talented writer. And I think that's been his gift is is his love and passion for the outdoors, um, not only just for hunting and fishing, but also conservation, and then his ability to write in such a way that is, is um, you know, it, I hear a lot of people say, I just really enjoy your dad's voice at night. It's so soothing. And um, so it doesn't, I'm always honored when people say, you know, oh, you're Ron Shara's daughter, because I feel like my dad has worked really hard and has had an amazing career and he deserves all that credit. And, um, it's been a blessing that I've been able to grow up and he's taught me so many things in regards to spending time in the outdoors and the circle of life and conservation, hunting, fishing, all those things. Um, but also to be able to follow in his footsteps in the television world. And, and, um, you know, and we, I feel like I bring something different to the table. So it doesn't bother me that if, um, somebody says, you know, that, oh, you're, you're Ron, Shara's daughter, and sometimes they don't even remember my first name, but that's okay. Usually they're like, Laura, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but that can't be true. I mean, you've you've kind of developed now into this more than local personality. You have sev- yes. several TV hosting appearances and jobs. You have local TV full-time jobs that you host TV shows that are on CBS or NBC NBC. Affiliate. NBC mm-hmm. affiliate. I wanted to get that right on the first. NBC affiliate. I think it's cool to hear you say that, you know, your dad deserves all that. And it's also really cool. It brings back an old country singer and a lyric that Don Williams sang about, about laying in the bed and listening to like Wolfman Jack, put him to sleep on the radio. Because back then radio was so, it was like a delicacy. When you would turn on the radio back when our parents were growing up, it was more, today it's like you can get music anywhere. You can get, or you can get content anywhere. Back then it was a big deal to have a little radio, transistor radio and tune it in with the antenna and hear those DJs put people to sleep at night. And I've read your dad's stuff and it's captivating. It's engaging. It's like, it's, it's it, it, a goal of mine in this business a long time ago was if you wanted to be real and, and, and authentic, you had to give the end consumer or the reader or the guy watching the TV show or the girl watching the TV show with her husband or whatever, the feeling that they could get in the truck with you or sit by the campfire with you and try to be real and, and try to put it in the light of what 
the outdoors truly is and what it means and how humbling it is and that it's never going to be an entitlement and that it's truly a blessing that we get to do this, especially in our capacity of being able to say that we make a living in it. Plus, I know you do other things, but to me, it's always been really sentimental to me. I might not have always done a good job in presenting that, but through my dad and through my my upbringing, I always had this real sentimental connection with the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I write or I talk or I do a, you know some copy for a product or something, I'm always like picturing that feeling I get when I have that right song on. And the trucks go on the right speed and I'm looking in the rear view and the sun's going down and that dust is back there on a dirt road in Kansas or Northern Minnesota, or the backwoods somewhere. And you look to your right and you see some ducks pitching into this hole and you look to the left and you see some cattle that are getting ready to be fed the next morning and they're freezing their butts off. And just that whole Americana feel of, of what, when you live in a big city and you wake up with the hustle and bustle of everything that we go through as an entrepreneur and as a businessman or a businesswoman we take it for granted. Sometimes we forget that there really is that farmer out there lighting up his tractor at four in the morning to oh, go yeah. till the land. And I, and I feel that talking to you that you really get that. And that it's not something that I talk about lightly because I think that people, as they start their, their voyage or their adventure into the outdoors or conservation, that to get it is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And the earlier you can do that in your life and not just worry about that kill or that Boone and Crockett or that Pope and Young or that 50 inch muskie. I had so much fun being on the water today to the point to where when I would put down my rod and let those and watch those guys fish, I was still content. Mm-hmm. And I think that I get that out of you that with your dad, through his help, through his vision, he is a visionary through his words, his writing, the way that he puts words together, the way that he can mix emotions and the way more importantly, or more importantly, the way that he can bring emotion out of somebody before they fall asleep, giving them that, that serenity and that peaceful, that, you know, that peaceful state of mind of saying, Hey, everything's all right. The sun's going to come up tomorrow. That's what the outdoors mean to me. And he's always done a good job of bringing that out. And obviously it's in you too. Oh, absolutely. You know, the. The gift that the outdoors gives everybody is, in my opinion, um, it's the power of connection. And not only do you connect with nature, which is obviously we know how powerful that is to be um, connected to our earth, but also to each other when you spend time in the outdoors. And what I find um, and what's one of my most favorite parts about working in this industry is is we all become storytellers after we spend time in the outdoors. And it doesn't matter if you miss the fish. If you landed the fish, if you missed the pheasant, if you shot the, you know, the, the buck, whatever, but it's the story that comes out of it. And it's in our DNA to be storytellers. And if you think about cavemen back in the day, they were telling their stories of their hunting experiences and writing those on walls. And today we do that and connect with each other by sharing our stories around a dinner table, eating wild game on social media, just hanging out together but it's the power of connection through storytelling that I think is what is so unique about spending time in the outdoors for everybody and why it's so powerful is that it really brings people together. And you always bond with people when you're out hunting or fishing together. Um, if you're walking a field together, you're laughing together. And that's what I think is so um, special. And what brings us back repeatedly of going back into nature, into the outdoors is is actually that. And yeah, we're harvesting food for our tables and and that's special as well. And there's something really unique when you um, uh, take the life of an animal to feed your own and how powerful that can be as well and how um, you value that and honor the animal so much more when you're actually eating at the dinner table and sharing that story of how it came to be on your plate. So that, I think, has been really instilled um, very much from my, my father. And I, 
it, that's the reason I choose to spend time in the outdoors and that's my passion and the reason why I love it. And I try to share that um, type of connection and the power of that connection um, to others that I, you know, if I'm writing stories for television or what have you. And to hear you talk about it, it's, you know, you would do, I would do anything personally to have what you just said be heard by the masses. And I'm not talking about yeah. us. I'm talking about the masses of people that don't get it, the antis, the people that think that, that the harvest of that animal is unethical or it's um, unreasonable. I hear a lot. I hear that word thrown around, like you're not being reasonable as a hunter. And I'm like, no, we're really being more than reasonable. Mm -hmm. And you hear, you hear a lot of reasons why we shouldn't hunt. And what you just said is like every reason why you should, like, even when you're disconnected, you could be disconnected from a person in a deer stand in the middle of of northern Minnesota waiting for a whitetail to come underneath your, your, your stand with on an archery hunt and you're connected to so many things, the sound of the wind yes. moving through the trees and the leaves and the branches break. It could be a squirrel that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And that connection is what drives that blood inside of a hunter to where if you sit there for eight hours on that day, and I know today's different than it was in the eighties or nineties, because now you could have a, a full like solar charging unit out there for your cell phone. And you can do, you know, a lot of people let the, you know, pass time like that. But if you sit there and think about the way it would be without that, mm -hmm. and you're sitting there, there's so much connection going on. And I think that that art of storytelling is important because it's how, it's how people get ingrained in it because I can't, I've never hunted with you. But or fished with you. But when you talk about it, I can tell that the experience would be legit because you get it because of the picture that you're painting through your words. And I think that if you take the time as a hunter or conservationist or somebody that loves to be in the outdoors, because it's easy to say that, but it's not easy to get there. And with, with most people live their life, there are a lot of weekend warriors. So when you only get two days a week to do it, it's all the more important to figure out what you're saying and, and how to ingest that mm -hmm. and digest that and be able to to, to talk about it and paint that picture. And I always talk about like this blank canvas that you start throwing all of these paints at and you, 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 you know, come up with your own masterpiece and that's what the outdoors allow you to do. And that's why I saw T-Bone, you know, T-Bone, oh, uh, yes. I, I love that dude. And yes. he, he did this post the other day. I don't know if do you follow him. I do. You see that post he did about 1970 or 19 or 2017, or it was something about comparing hunting in the seventies and eighties. I think it was 70, it might've been 1980, but then the, the next picture below it was 2017. And it was these quotes on there like, Hey man, I killed this eight point. And then you or your buddy, I killed this eight point. You, man, that's a great deer. Good job. I can't wait to eat the backstraps. And then below 2017, Hey man, I killed this eight point. Oh really? What food plot did you kill it over? Did he, is he Boone and Crockett? Is he Pope and Young? Did you have, did, you know, how fast was your bow going? What, what broadhead did you use? Oh, and it's yes. like, you know what I'm saying? It's yes. like there was a time when hunting was more than, than it might not have been as advanced as it is now, but it was more than what it is now because there was more of that connection that you're talking about. Yeah. And I think that with the, with voices, like what you're talking, the way that you talk and the way your dad writes and the way he speaks, that's what hunting is to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the message that, that people like Mitch and the outdoor sportsman's group and people that get it are trying to get out there. Because we're only as good as the people that are involved in this and that can say, hey, this is what hunting means to me. Absolutely. We, it can't be about that kill. No. Every single time. No. It's about that muskie following the hook to the boat. And the story that gets told repeatedly and repeatedly. Yes. And I think that with you, with your ability to paint that picture and your connection to the land, your connection to, the, to wildlife, your connection to mother nature, your connection to all the things that go into it, I think that as a woman, in my opinion, 
and I, I want to get into something here and there, I don't know if we're going to agree on this or not, but I really thought about it a lot this morning on the boat on how you would react to some of the comments I'm going to make. Is it tough to be, you, you work in the fashion world. Mm-hmm. You, you have a lot of um, experience in clothing and, and apparel and retail and stuff like that. Do you find it hard for you to find common ground with people in that area, in that segment because of what you do, because you're so passionate about hunting and fishing in the outdoors and conservation. Is there any, is there any consistency there as far as common ground goes with what you do? You know what? There is inconsistency, but I love having the conversation. So I fully embrace it. If someone um, has a challenge or a concern about the fact that I am a hunter or any of those, any, you know, fishing, they for some reason, they seem to be really lax about, but um and the reason I love the conversation is is I, I feel that people just have a misunderstanding about what hunting really is. Because many of these people having sharing these types of um, comments about they may not agree with the fact that I, I hunt the food that goes into my own freezer, um, they have a disconnection of where food comes from. And that is the conversation because many of them are still meat eaters. Many of them, you know, are taking down steaks and turkey burgers and everything else. And, you know, once you explain there, the, there really isn't a difference. A lot of times I have to say, well, I guess you're a killer too. <laughs> and, and they're kind of like, well, they don't really understand. And I said, well, you have to understand. I go out and I harvest, I spend 10 to 12 hours sometimes in the woods harvesting one turkey. I put a lot of time in, I put a lot of energy in. And that one turkey had a really amazing life. It was free to roam. It did whatever it wanted to do. And in fact, I didn't even freeze my turkey. I ate that turkey that night. And that is no different than you going to the grocery store and finding something that's wrapped in saran wrap and you have no connection to where it came from. And you should know where your food comes from because I am honoring that bird more than you're probably taking down a chicken breast or whatever you're doing. Um, And that seems to be, then people have a better understanding. And even if someone is, vegetarian or vegan or whatever, you know, I enjoy vegetarian meals every now and then or vegan meals. Great. But there's still an impact to our environment, even if you are a vegetarian or you're a vegan eater, just due to our clean water systems and farming and land and things like that. There's impact to our ecosystems, no matter what. And we have to have all that to to be able to feed our world. But that doesn't leave you with no responsibility to harming an animal's life either way. So it's all just, you know, relative. And I feel like people are really open. And I love the fact that there has been a movement um, amongst the foodie world, which, you know, the foodie world and fashion world, all those seem to be really bonded together. But on the farm to table drive and chef driven restaurants and, and people having a, um, a better understanding of where their food comes from. So now you see a lot of restaurants talking about, well, this um, steak is from this local ranch or what have you. Um, and to me, that's, that is really good for those of us who are, hunters and want to harvest our own food is that same relevance is I may not be getting it from this farm. I'm going out to South Dakota to hunt my own pheasant instead of going to so-and-so's farm to pick up a chicken, you know? Right. And so that I, I haven't really had much, um, when you start to have those types of conversations, people really understand it. And actually, in fact, they're quite interested and would be interested in going hunting and, but Hunting, interestingly enough, and fishing is really passed down, I find, to be generationally. And if you grow up in a neighborhood or a part of the city where no one did that, 
they have a hard time figuring out how to get started. And in fact, that's one of the reasons I started a segment on my dad's television show, which is Minnesota Bound and Care 11. I have a segment that's called Getting Started because a lot of people are just like, I don't even know how to, how do I get started pheasant hunting if I want to try? So I did a segment that if I wanted to do this, what do I do? Well, we went to a, a game farm and they actually have people there that will take you out or teach you. You can borrow one of their guns if you'd like to. Gun safety obviously is important. And um, so I continue to do those segments um, for the purpose of if someone doesn't have a grandfather, a dad, a mom, or whoever can show them, how do they do it? So interesting. And that's one of our messages, key messages for Minnesota Bound. And it was my dad's key message for 24 years of being on television is introduce a kid to the great outdoors because that is truly the only way um, that it, and there's now there's places you can go on camps and things, but really it's taking younger generations and a the importance of getting them outdoors um, at a younger age so they can learn how to hunt, fish, conserve, circle of life, all those things. Um, but also, especially now, is just getting them away from video games and social media and phones and things that are so disconnected and bringing them back to things that are really connected. Do you, do you Have you ever encountered a male or a female that doesn't, give you any respect because they don't think you have any credibility because you're a woman that makes her living in the outdoors when historically it's been looked at as a man's world or a man's sport. And there's nothing more important than women being involved. And I know so many women that have hunted without a boyfriend that doesn't hunt or a husband that doesn't hunt that, sure. got, that ended up getting them into hunting. Yeah. And I work with several different conservation organizations to where um, getting women involved is one of their, you know, the top initiatives. And I think that the, it, it, there's never been a time in America to where the voice of a woman in the outdoors has one been stronger and more important and more evident. And so has anybody ever been like, like shrugging you off because you are a female when, cause you talk with a lot of passion, you talk with a lot of intelligence and like, you can tell that you get it. And obviously you did have a head start. You're not afraid to admit it. You give your dad a lot of credit for that, but you've taken it to where now you are bringing segments to his show of getting started. Now you're influencing. <clears throat> and when you take on <clears throat> the responsibility of being an influencer, you have to have your shit together. You have to mm -hmm. be able to take, you know, shoulder that and say, Hey, if I if somebody's going to ask me, how to get started pheasant hunting. I better know what I'm talking about. I better understand everything from footwear and the walking that you're going to do to the sporting dogs, to the blaze orange and how many inches, square inches you have to have on your body to do you use a semi-automatic? Do you use a wood grain gun? Do you use a, a, a broke back over under? You know, there's a lot of knowledge that goes into all this different applications of hunting and fishing. I learned a lot on the boat today. So yes or no, Laura, have you had people be like, yeah, whatever, like you're a girl, I'm not going to even listen to this. You know, it's it's interesting. There's not not so much. There are certain times when you are in big groups of people and you might be in a hunting field and they kind of want to see if you or fishing. They don't really see if you can hold your own or they, they want to see if you can hold your own. Um, but I always have fun with it because I just let my work show for itself. Um, for instance, I this is kind of a fun little story. I was in a bass fishing tournament with um, some of the Minnesota wild hockey players, some other NHL hockey players, coaches, and it was all for charity. It was for the Minnesota wild foundation. And, um, my dad participated, um, Bill Shirk, Travis Frank, some other television hosts and myself. Um, I believe I was the only female, you know, quote unquote celebrity angler, whatever. It doesn't, I hate the word celebrity. Anyway. Um, but, but you are, you're such a celebrity. <laughs> 
You're such and a celebrity. I don't know if I am. Why are you blushing? You're a celebrity. Well, or, no, 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 no. Cheryl. That doesn't, that, we don't even have those in Minnesota. Anyway, we are fishing and Matt Hendricks, who just signed with the Wild, but I believe he was with Winnipeg, uh, the Winnipeg Jets before that, was, we're getting in the boat and he's, he was, we were co-captaining, so we were in the same boat together. And he said, all right, Laura, I mean, do you want to have a little bet here for the biggest fish caught? And I was like, okay. And I, you know, at some point, I've always feel like those are little, those little challenges to see, like, does this girl really have what it takes to catch fish? You know, because they don't, sometimes they just don't believe that um, women can keep up with the boys. And I was like, that's fine. Well, why don't we do one of my favorite bets, which is the best out of three points. The first point being is uh, the first fish caught is one point. The biggest fish caught's one point, And the most fish caught is one point. So best out of three wins the trophy or the pot. He's like, fine. Um, he's like $30. So I was like, okay, that's cool. And um, at the end of the day, I had to collect $30 from him. <laughs> and he what? was fair and square. I, I beat him in all categories. <laughs> but Was it luck? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, sometimes it is luck, but sometimes, well, I mean, we've got a lot of, we had four lines in the water because we have four people in our boat. But um, some of it's luck, but some of it's not. And so, but when he gets in the boat, he might've made that bet with, if you were a guy, he, if you were just a guy, totally. scouter, he might've just been being fun, loving and having some and fun he with is. you. Matt's a great guy. And I, and I, and I, but I see it kind of like if, if you were out in the field with me and you're, you come with this background and you come with these TV shows and all this stuff, I'm, I want credibility. I want to make sure that like, and that's where I was going with this. When I said, you might not like some of the things that I have to say, and maybe you won't, maybe you'll agree. I don't know, but with, with today's society mm-hmm. and the way that we get our, our news and our content, and so I, I, my, I just came from the West United States. I don't know if you've been paying attention with the fires out there, but it's literally where There's we some live. smoke in your lungs it's right like, now? Yeah, it's like impossible <laughs> to breathe. Tom, am I, am I, I mean, it's bad. And it's so nice to have fresh air out here. But Instagram, for example, yes. and this whole theory of Insta-famous. And I want you to hear me out. And I've had discussions with this with one other person in this industry on this podcast and you have credibility. You know how to hunt. You know how to fish. I've, I've been in camp with girls like Julie Golob on Team Federal, um, girls that are on the three-gun team for Benelli to where I, I don't go in there cocky. I go in there confident. Like, there's no way you can outshoot me. And then they absolutely destroy me. And I'm like, holy smokes. Like, I had no idea that a female could actually run a shotgun like what I'm wanting. Now that I'm in this industry, they're everywhere. There's so many girls that are so awesome at shooting and precision and archery and hand, like Julie shooting a handgun. I won't even take mine out of the holster when I'm around her because yeah, she, probably, they, probably she's so intimidating. Like, and she's a sweetheart. <laughs> she's one of my, she's a hero to me, but not a hero. Just but don't she's, embarrass yourself. Yeah. Right. Really. But I do every time I'm around them. Yeah. So I, I, I want, I want that. I, I don't demand credibility or like you to prove yourself, but in today's society, there's a lot of money being made with Insta famous. Oh, yes. And I want to know what your feelings are on this. Like, there's a beautiful girl holding up a muskie or a beautiful girl holding up a buck. Makeup done up, hair done up, tan, look like a tanning booth. Like, I will never say no names because I'm not saying they're not good at what they do. Sure. I'm not saying that they that their grandpas didn't bring them up on the farm and teach them how to hunt. I'm not saying that guys aren't out there doing the same thing because I've posed with animals that I didn't kill. Being transparent. But in today's society, it seems to me like there's a lot of money being made, companies paying endorsements on people that I've never really seen gain that credibility. It's almost like you work your whole life and you work your ass off coming up in the honky tonks of Nashville and all over the world. And you, you become a 
country music star, or you can go win American Idol and be boom, be famous right away. Sure. But I'm not saying that the like Kelly Clarkson's a badass. She won American Idol. She didn't have to do the come up in the in the honky tonks and things. Maybe these girls are legit, Laura. I don't know. But as a woman it, looking at Instagram and you see all these quote unquote again insta famous girls that mm-hmm. are getting paid. Are they credible? Are they a voice for our industry? Can they come into an instant like this and sit down and talk across the table with somebody about conservation and passion and actually getting it, what it means to be, you know, farm to table and what it means to harvest your own bounty and cook that? I'm not saying they don't. I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying they don't. But there's so much of it going on and there's such, a, there's such an abundance of it. Is it reality? Is it real in your opinion as a woman? Because you're working your ass off to oh, be yes. credible and you're working your butt off to, to be an influencer and you're writing books and you're hosting camps and you got boats full of kids and camps full of kids and charity and everything. Is it credible? Is it real? And am I wrong to even bring it up? You know, like, are, are you thinking no. like I shouldn't be thinking? No, it is. Well, and it's part of today's society is what's interesting about Instagram and, and companies deciding to market through Instagram, which I find to be fascinating because it really comes down to algorithm and numbers and um, followers and things like that. So it, it seems to me, which is, it's starting to get almost overwhelming is that everybody has become a salesperson on pitching items and product on Instagram. And so you go through Instagram stories and to me, you know, I, I always choose to, I block out the noise. I don't ever really think about what anybody else is doing except my, what, what my path is and what my track is. Um, and, and as long as I know what I'm doing is true to my authentic self, that I don't ever really get bothered by what else, how everybody else is making money or for endorsements or things like that. Um, if anything, you know, as if they are appropriately um, representing the hunting and fishing world, no matter if they are an expert level or a beginner level, as long as they are talking about um, the importance of hunting, why they hunt. And for me, I think conservation is a really important role in that. But just the fact that it's not about, hey, look at me, I shot, you know, how many hundreds of dove today. You know, it's not just about the numbers per se, but it's a little bit more, um, has a little bit more authenticity than that. Then I'm like, go for it. You know, to me, I just. But but if it. Where do you draw the line on authenticity or real or good yeah. voice? Or like, well, I don't I'm, really believe a lot of stuff that's on Instagram because Instagram is all about, I mean, every, even in like the fitness world or modeling world or any other, all these images, it's always a highlight reel, right? So a lot of it for everybody is, is, is the highlight reel for Instagram. So I think, um, these, there's, for example, you got a, a hot girl. She's beautiful. Yeah. She got her shirt pulled up a little bit and you can see her stomach and on that picture with her stomach there. And look she's, how many likes she has just because of that. Yes. That's what's and interesting then, to me. And then all of a sudden there's a holster that's attached to her pant, her belt line. And the whole deal is put in this code for this holster and you're going to get 15 or 20% off. And I'm like, if I look at that picture, the last thing that I think of is a holster. If it's Julie pulling her gun out of a holster and shooting targets under a time, you know, her videos are insane. She's a badass. Yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, that holster's legit. If it's concealed and you're in, and, and you're using it for a concealed carry permit and it's easy access and you can get your, your piece out of it real quick and it's credible product, then I'm going to be more apt to purchase Absolutely. it or at least look into it. If I look at that and I'm like, Last week, this girl had on this product and it was yes. this discount code. It's almost like these, these companies go, oh, she's got 
70,000 followers. She's getting 50,000 likes a picture. I'm going to send her a free holster and tell her to show her tummy a little bit and put this on. And again, I'm not being degrading. I'm just wondering, is it real? Does it work? And who in the hell would buy a holster based on a hot chick pulling her shirt up saying, Hey, I'm not going to show show you that I even know how to draw my gun out of this. And I'm not making an assumption that she doesn't. Yes. No, I totally hear what you're saying. And I'm not sure why they're the drive for companies to market that way. Um, But it, it is interesting. Like I, I just had one from a random message come through myself from, I'm going to keep the n- name of the restaurant nameless, but they said, Hey, if you want, you can offer your followers a chance to win something, something from our restaurant. If you want to post it and you could do a giveaway. And I thought that's strange. Um, I didn't, I just was not interested, but that must be what's happening now on the day of digital marketing. And to me at some point, I think it's going to have a tipping point where it just becomes noise for everybody because so many people based off of um, just numbers. And a lot of people can buy Instagram followers these days that companies are going to see the, the, there's just not a return on investment in that. I just don't know how there could be. And I'm sure if you're not, if you're just getting started or your, your one thing in, in the industry is that you actually have followers and you're just hoping to gain more followers, you probably are going to take those offers of a free holster and say, sure, I'll do that for you just because I might get more followers. But I, that's why I just don't really, I so don't know. Do for you, me, I just don't really believe a lot of, I just don't, I think fantasy land is Instagram land. I just have a hard time. And I love hearing you say it. And it's weird because in, in my area or my space, we're on it. We're like, as much as I want to be like, I made a challenge the other day on a, on a podcast with some fitness gurus. I was talking with some trainers and fighters and stuff. And I'm like, let's just try to put our phones down, you know, for a while each day. And let's make a vow to, to ourselves that we're not going to look at our Instagram account for seven days and just see if you can do it. Just see if you can go and not open that app up for seven days. And I started thinking, I don't even know if I can freaking do it because am I trying to keep up with the Joneses? Am I worried about my competition before my whole mentality in life and business and entrepreneurship and spirit was, if you're worrying about what your competition's doing, you're taking away positive energy of applying that to something that could be building your brand or your vision. But now it's like you scroll up in your feed and boom, you see it. You go to the stories, boom, you see it. You get an ad that comes across, boom, you see it. And it's, I've heard people talk about they had to get off of their Instagram because of the envy, because of the jealousy, because there's so much falseness and un, un um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not authentic. Sure. That it's, people buy into it. Like if they see the picture, it must be real. That must be real. That dude must be killing it in life because he's smiling in every one of his pictures and she's gorgeous in every one of her pictures. And she's, she's getting all these swimsuit ads and she, and he's doing this and he's traveling with this band and he's got number one hits. And, and then I'm like, dude, everybody's got problems. Everybody faces, everybody faces, you know, different ups and downs and road bumps in their life. And this whole, and then how much is too much on Instagram of how much do you share? Is there anything that you hold so close to your heart still that you don't have to put a picture of your baby up there every single day? Can't you just hold your baby without sharing it with your downline and your followers? Is it, does it have to be that every day I have to see a picture of your daughter? And I'm like, well, maybe if I'm going to bitch about what they're posting, maybe I just don't follow them. And Mm -hmm. that's up to me. Maybe that's their mentality. If you don't like it, don't look at it. That's true. But my, my point is, it's bigger than that. My point is, is what, 
where do you draw the line? What what's real? What's not? If you're if you're trying to present this life that you're so happy every day and and everything's perfect, we know that's not true. Over here, you got somebody that got his heart broke by a girl, and he starts posting all these things of of um, you know my heart's broke and it wasn't meant to be, and I need to do this, and I thought I had the right one, and now she's gone, and I'm like. I don't care again, put that on who gives a shit.com because like, really like, but, but why do they put that stuff up there? Why can't anything be held to the heart and, and in the outdoors and conservation? Now you'd start to see this big flooding come in of put this product on there and promote it. And then I look at mine, I'm like, God oh, damn, I'm, I'm tagging a sponsor. I'm living this awesome, humble life that I'm blessed and humbled by. And you look at my story and I can't even put up a little, little blurb about my experience that day without tagging a sponsor that's paying me to be in this space. When in reality, that sponsor doesn't care if I put them on there or not, because we can, we, we, we have a, a understanding. We've, we have credibility with them. It's almost like a sickness. It's almost like this whole thing is taken over to where who can get the most followers, who can get the most views on their story, who can get the biggest sponsors, who can get the biggest ratings. And it, at the end of the day, we all go to the same place. Yes. It's just like we're in a race even more now to get that and to the point to where now I question it, who's real and who's fake. Am I real? Am I a good duck hunter? I even question myself. I have the power of editing. I get to hunt the best places in the world. I'm always in the best boats. I got the best guns. I'm with the best duck lodges, the best duck farms. I'm getting, uh, you know, catered to everywhere I go. Am I even really, could I go out into a public marsh anymore and carry my own freaking decoys and kill ducks? I don't know if I could. <laughs> Really You've don't. been ruined. You've yes. gotten soft. But does that make sense to you? Like, does that, do you hear what I'm saying? It's almost like, is the authenticity being taken out of what we do? And when, when T-Bone posted that the other day, I'm like, it hit me. I'm like, this really. I think, you know, the authenticity inside your own heart. And that is all that matters is your own truth. And I, that's why I, I, I really cancel out the noise and I just concentrate on what drives me, what makes me passionate. I don't, you know, my numbers on my Instagram aren't that high. And I did actually, to be all, in all honest, I don't care. You know, I, I share the things that I'm doing that um, bring me joy and some of the work that I do. And I understand there are certain times where um, you have relationships with and partnerships with companies that you are responsible for tagging them and things because they're helping you with your television show and whatnot. So that's part of the job. So that is part of your job these days because marketers and companies that's the reason they're partnering with you at the same time. But, you know, as far as like the who's doing what and how they're doing it, I, I always just stick to my own lane and tend so to my own so backyard. You never, so you never roll your eyes when you see something on Instagram. You're never like, yeah, right. Or how did she get that? Or, or some, you know, and you if I do, I kind of have to take a look at myself and be like, why do I care? Good call. Good you know, call. because it's no one makes me feel a certain way. I make me feel a certain way. And if. I truly try to be a champion. I think there's enough out there for everybody to be successful. However they want to go about it, they should go so, about so it. That, so what you're saying is way more important and on a bigger scale than the way you're just passively saying it, in my opinion, because there is an issue, in my opinion, to where these apps, these, these Instagram accounts or these Facebook accounts can really be a burden on a young lady or a young man or somebody that feels like they're not as popular or not as famous or, sure. not, or not grown as well. So what you're saying is that your following isn't as big as somebody else's, or maybe your following is not as big as you think it should be. But I'm not saying that that's what you're saying. I'm just saying yeah. that no, that's your true. message is so, so legit that it needs to be said that really if you break it down and you have a vision and you have focus and you have a path that you want to stay on, I'm not saying you have to have blinders on. I'm not saying that no. you got to be so just driven to get to that finish line that you're not, that you're willing to do whatever it takes to the point of maybe selling out. That's not what we're saying. No. We're saying 
know who you are in your heart. Know that what you're doing is for the right reasons. Know that you give back. And if somebody chooses to take that holster and show their belly and their tan line to sell somebody a holster, you know, yes. assuming that somebody buys that holster because maybe they are because that company keeps giving these free holes. What, I don't know what they're, I don't know how they're, you know, paying these people or, or making it worth their while or seeing a return on investment in it. But your message is the most important is like, if you just only stay the path and work yeah. on you, do you. Yes. Do you don't compare yourself, but that's the thing is that it's so easy to go on and go, man, these, these guys are really killing it, man. They're, they, they only started this company two years ago and they're already this big because they're posting really happy posts every day. They must, or they really got a good marketing firm that's creating an image that maybe they're not that big. Maybe they, maybe they're just building an image. There's a lot of intelligence that's coming out of what you're saying to the point to where I think that there's a message there that it doesn't matter your maturity level. It can stick with you. If you think that you are not succeeding like somebody else that you know, or that you, that's, a, you know, that might be more famous than you or whoever, before we wouldn't know any of that. I didn't know what the rock was doing five years ago. Now, yeah. I'm, now I see that he's on a private jet every other day. I know. I he's always know. in a good mood. That one. <laughs> yeah. The, but you know what? That's yeah. what I'm saying is that, is he, I, but the, no. mes- the, the message is, I think it's bigger than how, how passively you're talking about. It. Obviously you, you are authentic about it, but I think that there's a lot of, my question is, when we first started this Instagram deal is, is it real? Is this smile? Is this holster on this be- so-called beautiful girl? I don't know how much makeup she had to do that day. I don't know how real she is. I don't know if she even can talk because there's no, there's no like audio to it. It's just this picture. Is it a really, that's the form of marketing that you're seeing today. Who would buy a holster based on a pretty girl wearing it? it makes no sense to me. And, and that's it's all relative because I, you know, I don't think. A lot, none of it's actually real, real, right? Because I always call it, it's everyone's highlight reel. But anytime that I think you have some sort of emotion triggered inside yourself that doesn't, you may feel like so-and-so is ahead of the game than you are, um, has everything, in my personal opinion, to do with you and the lack of your own self-worth, self-confidence, self-love to know that you can do it too. And I like to be a cheerleader for everybody to have success because I, you know, I think that's great. The more people are happy, the more people are successful, the better the world is. So if that's how they're going to make their money is by showing a holster with a little bit of their belly button showing, well then go for it because that's not my route, but that's cool. I'm going to go my own path. I'm going to set my own goals. I'm going to, I'm responsible for me and how I get there. And that's it. So is that how you deal with haters? Because I know with your success and you're a beautiful woman and you have all this going for you in business and entrepreneur and TV hosting and blogging and cookbooks and, and, and news segments. And you get to hunt for a living. You get to fish for a living. You get invited to beekeep and ride horses and climb trees and build forts. And (laughs) I mean, you're living the dream fights. I mean, everything you're living the dream. (laughs) So you got haters, right? Is that how you deal with, is that how you deal with them too? You just be like, Hey, no problem. Yeah, I I just block out the noise. I mean, a lot of times because anybody, anytime someone says something rude, disrespectful, I always believe it's a reflection of what's going inside of what's happening inside of them and doesn't have anything to do with me. Because again, I know my truth. I'm an honest person. I'm kind. I'm respectful. I try to live a very positive, gratitude-filled life every day. I work hard at that. Not that it's always perfect, but that's why the noise outside of that does not affect me. And that's because it has everything to do with how that person feels about themselves on the inside. It doesn't really have anything to do with, with me or anybody else. So you're saying that not. Because when not, people uh, shout out hate, 
there's something about themselves that they hate. Do you ever want to respond and tell them that? Um, there are times there's a, this is a good one. I, I've done a lot of wild game cooking on uh, Minnesota bound and I do a lot of cooking at home. I cook almost every one of my own meals. I don't eat out a lot cause I'm really into fitness and health and all those things. Um, not that I don't enjoy eating out. I do, but I had posted a, a cooking segment and some gentleman had written on my Facebook page that I couldn't pour myself a bowl of cereal if I tried. <laughs> Which I, some of these things I think are so funny because I'm did like. Did you laugh out loud on that? I did. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And he was so rude. You could yourself what? A bowl of cereal if you tried. I was like, all right, thank you, sir. So was it a bad recipe or you messed no, up in it? No, he was just commenting. He doesn't think I can cook, basically, is what he was saying. Why? But I have why, no idea because he's would, angry because he's angry at himself. He hates himself. Or do you think that he looks at you as like this specimen that he can't achieve? So he'd rather beat you down because he made a, a judgment about me for sure. In, Ameri- yeah. in America, I hope, and people have heard me say this before, but Taylor Swift had a lyric one time. I love Taylor Swift. Everybody beats up on her because she's so famous. But holy shit. I mean, like, go get it, go. girl, right? Yeah. She had a, she had a line that said, uh, people throw rocks at things that shine in America. On your way up the ladder, mm-hmm. as you take each step up that next rung, people support you. Hey, good luck to you. Good luck to you, Laura. I know that you're going for this tryout. I know that you're. I know that you're trying to become the host and an anchor, and and you're going to host this TV show with Nick Munt. I mean, Nick Munt's a badass. He's a freaking bone collector, and he's he was he's he's one of the best there is in the industry. And you're going to be a co-host with him on this show on the Outdoor Channel. And then all of a sudden, you achieve the success, and you're on the top of that ladder. And now that's when the rocks start coming. Because in my opinion, in our country, it's hard for people to support people that are at the top because they, one, don't know how to get there Two, they don't know how to be a self-starter to figure, even figure that out, how to take that first step up that ladder. So it's easy to, 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 to break it down to where, what you're saying and look at it like that person obviously has something going on inside of them, but in our, in, inside of me, sometimes I'm, and I've gotten really good at just being like, yeah, whatever we, we read them out loud. Oh, that's fun. And we laugh at him. <laughs> and I wish we could do like what Jimmy Kimmel does on the mean tweets when people oh, tweet yes. about Jimmy Kimmel. Totally. And he just turns it back on him. Yeah. We can't do that in our space. Yeah. It'd <clears throat> be really cool if you could. But you have to want to respond sometimes. You have to want to be, you have to look at those Instagram accounts of those girls that have way more followers than you and just be like, what the, what the hell? You have to have a hater call, call you out like that and say, there ain't no way you can pour a bowl of Captain Crunch. <laughs> you got to want to just go on there and say, listen, dude, I know that you live in your mom's basement and exactly. I know that your keyboard's probably almost broke from how many messages you send off of it. We don't do that. No, and, you can't. And the bigger picture thing of that is that hunters really don't go on the attack of you're an idiot because you're a vegan or, oh, you hate guns. You're an idiot. We don't do that. No. We, you don't see us marching of saying that vegetarians should be outlawed. Yeah. I don't give a shit. I don't care, Laura. Like, go be a vegetarian. You know why? Because we're still going to be cool if we hang and wrap at a table. Yeah. Because I don't care what you order for lunch. We might ride each other a little bit. But if you look at me and see me eating some, some venison steaks that I, that I killed in Wyoming on the Milk River, and you pass judgment on me, that's your bad. Oh, that's yeah. something going on in your psyche that you feel that you need to be... I guess it's almost like when your buddy is hanging out with you every day and then all of a sudden he gets a girlfriend and he quits hanging out with you every day. And the first way you want to react instead of being happy for him that he found love is, dude, you're all whipped now. You don't even hang out with the boys. And that happens every day. And it happens with girls too. It's just the way Americans are. It's just the way that we're built. And to be as mature as you're talking of being able to stay focused, you make it sound again, like it's easy that it's in passing. It's not that easy because I know that most people 
want to be to where you're at. They mm-hmm. want to achieve that. And if they can't get it, they want to tear you down. And instead of letting them tear you down, you're saying that you just smile at them and kill them with kindness. And I'm really trying to get a rise out of you to see if there is a side <laughs> of Laura that will go on the attack. And you're really doing it. I really think there is. Like, I think that you, you have some, like, I have that side of being like, I don't want you to say this about me. Calm down. I don't want to get mean about this, but you really have no right to say that. You're saying that ignoring them is the best. And well, I, you know, and on a public platform, um, to me, responding to, to some of those hateful comments is a waste of my energy because, like I said, it's not going to make or break my day if someone says something horrible. If someone is misinformed about... Um, something regards to hunting or how I hunt or fish or whatever, if it's done right or wrong, everybody's going to have an opinion. I am not afraid to share what my opinion is back to them. But if someone is spewing hateful comments, I, I don't have this because I really feel it's all about them. And in fact, I purposely leave them up on my, up on my Facebook account. I don't take them down. And I do that on purpose because I think that <laughs> It's a reflection of that person. And if that's how you want to be seen, well, then you can be seen like that on my Facebook page because it has no reflection of me. And if someone is going to believe their comment, well, good for you. You know what I mean? It just does not bother me. It really doesn't. So on this flip side, then back to the girls with the holster, you don't sit there and roll your eyes no. out. You're just like, go get it, girl. Like, go for it. If that's the way you want to make a living, then then go. Because I think there like, truly is enough success for everybody to obtain whatever they want to obtain. You got to just stay in your own lane and fight your own fight and climb your own ladder and go. Like, I don't pay attention and try to compare myself to what anybody else is doing, only with my nose to the grindstone. And I know how hard I work. I mean, I a lot of that's what people don't see on when you're posting your highlight reel all the time is how many hours you're putting in and how much you're networking and, um, and how much you're, you know, you're, it's the hours that you put in. Like, I don't, we don't have a nine to five. You work quite a few hours and that's the grind that people don't see. And that's okay. They don't have to see it, but, um, that's why I don't, I just don't compare myself to anybody else. And I, and to be honest with you, you know, people, what I do in the outdoor space is, you know, the stories that I shoot and the adventures that I go on and and the things that I dabble in are a very broad spectrum of things to do in the outdoors. So even myself, I've never considered myself an expert in something. Like I'm not like, oh, I, I'm definitely am an expert in pheasant hunting or I'm an expert musky fisherman. I mean, can I hold my own? Yes. Do I know what I'm doing? Yes. But I don't, I'm always still open to the idea of learning something because I think I can, the outdoors teaches me something every single time I go into it. If I'm out with a fishing guide, Um, We're hanging together. He's always teaching me something I don't know. I'm in someone's new territory, new part of the world. There's always something to learn. So I'm always open to the idea of um, continually learning and growing. So that's why I, and that's just, that's where I hold my space is I'm not, I don't, I'm not like I'm an expert at this or, you know, and I I definitely feel like if I can influence somebody to um, connect to nature in the outdoors, then, then that feels good because I think that's so important for human beings to have. And what about the way that you look? Have you ever been chastised or looked at as a sex symbol or you're sure. just, you're just in the position you are cause you're hot. You, sure. you, you, you dress too sexy. The only reason that you're, that you're getting these gigs is because you're a beautiful girl to me. Like uh, again, assumptions are <clears throat> 
asinine, right? Like yeah. ta- hearing you talk. That's why I love this format of being able to, like, I've never, ever met you. I, ta- I text you one time yesterday, and this mm-hmm. is the first time we've ever seen each other physically. We can have a conversation and respect each other across the table to have a conversation to where when you hear the voice of somebody come out and really hear what they know and how they approach their life every day, um, I could probably draw up your days in like without knowing what you did today or what you do. I'm pretty sure you're a, a routine person. I bet that you live a very routine life as far as fitness and cooking and preparation and mental capacity and everything. There's there's people that are cut from that cloth and you're one of them. In my opinion, I might not I might be wrong, but I think I'm right. But you're also very beautiful. So you probably get those, those whistleblowers that are like, oh, Laura, you're hot. That's why you're getting that job. Or jealous women are like, oh, I, I should have that job. If I look like Laura Shara, I'd have that job if I was built like that. If I had her face, if I had her hair, you face that. Mm-hmm. You still have the same approach of, of just being able to like, hey, you know, uh, there's no apology here. It's what I do. I, I wish that you would get to know my heart and my soul and my inner you know, the, the stuff that's inside of my body, instead of just looking at me as this quote unquote sex symbol, that might not be the right word, but in a lot of instances it is in this country. And do you want to be a sex symbol? Do you ever feel like you're looked at as a sex symbol and are you trying to combat that or do you use it to your advantage? To be honest with you, I always felt like my work, um, I, you know, I, I don't feel like I would have lasted this long in the industry if it was only for having long blonde hair. Um, there's more to that when it comes to the work that needs to be done and, um, running a business and being an entrepreneur and I own my own company. Um, so it, it isn't necessarily about that. If people want to believe that's how I I've gotten to where I've gotten, that's a false sense of, of what it really takes because it takes a lot more than that. Um, does it bother me if people think of me as a sex symbol or whatnot? No, you know, it's just, I am who I am and truly I, I, I take the most pride in the fact that um, that I choose to be a genuine person and a very grounded person, and that's just who I am, um, and that will never change. So no matter what people say, if they say I'm a sex symbol, if they say I don't deserve to be on TV, whatever, I, it, it just, I, it's noise. That's all it is. And I am a very, I'm a routine person only because in order for me to get done what needs to be done every single day to accomplish the goals I have set for myself, is you have to be really diligent on, um, on keeping almost on task. You know, I work out very early in the morning, every single morning. And, um, then I, I, it's nose the grindstone every single day. And a lot of it comes down to also really being diligent about the amount of sleep that I get and not really drinking much alcohol either, because I can't perform on television or really get as much done as I need to get done every single day if I have a hangover. So that part of the, that people don't see is um, being very structured in, in, in how I'm going to obtain my goals. And I have um, big lofty goals. I don't set limits on myself. I don't think, oh, I could probably only make it this far. I, I choose to believe that it's limitless. And I think it's limitless for everybody. They just have to go after it and not be afraid. And I think a lot of people carry around a lot of fear. And that's where people make comments such as, she only got there because she's a sex symbol. But really what that says is I could never get there if I don't look like her, which is not the truth. The truth is you can get there. You have to get rid of your own fear. So, And it, it's really refreshing to hear you know, the words come out of your mouth because the other part of it is the seriousness that somebody like me or somebody in this hunting space might take now because of, again, going back to the Instagram and the social media is, oh, she's only got that many followers. Oh, she, she's nothing. She, she can't be that legit. 
She can't be that influential. She can't be that credible. She doesn't know how to shoot a bow if she's only got 15,000 followers. Yeah. The ones that know how to shoot a bow have 70,000. Yeah, that's not true. It's bullshit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Do, are you, am I allowed to cuss around you? I probably should. Oh, no. You, um, you keep giving hello? me weird. I, really? You keep giving me like I've funny I've got a trucker mouth. I just haven't let it fly yet. I keep thinking trucker? we're on like regular, regular radio here. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a good approach because I, you know, I've had people come on here and be like just F-bombs. And I'm like, oh God, a lot of my, you know, a lot of these are hunters that, that, that cuss, but uh, you know, an outdoor TV, it, yeah. you, you got to keep it for the kids and that's stuff. Right. And I, I do my best, but like when I hear you talk and how passionate you are about talking, then it's like. Well, are you really legit because you only have 15,000? I don't even know what you have. I'm just saying like you've said, you just said yourself that you don't have as many followers and you don't Some care. Of the other girls, no. So like a lot of people look at it and be like, oh, dude, you only got like 50,000 followers. You're not. And I'm like, what? Five years ago, I had zero and I was still doing the same shit. Yeah. Right. Five years ago, I don't even know what a follower was. I get I get that Instagram is a, a moneymaker and I get that that Facebook is worth billions and I go get it, man. Go get your money. That's so awesome that you've developed these apps and these found these platforms of social media or whatever we call it, the social network. Go make your money. I'm proud for you. But don't look down on me and don't look down on Laura because we don't have as many followers as so-and-so does. And I've met people that have tons of followers and I'll, I try to talk to them. I'm like, man, you just, you just talk to that phone all day because you truly can't have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so it goes both ways. It just goes yes, both ways. It totally does. Yeah. You've got, you have, you have this, this guy that comes on and says, you can't pour a bowl of cereal. I would laugh at that. Like, I'd be like, dude, you've got to have something better material in your pocket than to say you couldn't oh, pour sure. a bowl of cereal. I like, just you, written back. Like, I love cereal. Yeah, what are you talking yeah, about? Like, I, I love pour it, it all the time. Yeah. I like cut up fruit on it. And I love that. I take the <laughs> berries God. out of crunch berries. Yes. And so I only eat the marshmallows out of whatever cereal that is. So can, can you cook? Yes, like, I can cook. I can throw it down. Self-admittingly or acclaimed? No, my friends compliment me on my cooking. Paid friends? No. You you dress up one of your friends and they do an Instagram post with one of your dishes and you pay them to pose with it? No, no. This is just genuine. This is no social media at all. I'm just cooking for friends and all I've right. gotten a lot of compliments. All right, let's do a little test here. Okay. Okay. If, you, if I tell you that I want you to make me venison tacos, I want to know... I just want to know what ingredients are going to be laid out on the table. I want to know how authentic these tacos are going to be, how simple they're going to be, how complex they're going to be. I just want to know if I walk into Laura's kitchen and I look at the countertop and let's say you're getting ready to film a cooking segment with Martha Stewart or Rachel Ray and you got all this, are they liberals? I don't think, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> you have all this food laid out on the, t on the table and you're getting ready to throw down on a cooking segment. Cause you know, you got to have them in, in you got to be kind of organized. Oh yeah. Very organized. What do I see? What ingredients are for your venison tacos? For, for venison tacos. Oh, you got to FaceTime. Um, venison tacos. Well, you first, number one and most important is your marinade. Hands down is how you're going to marinate the venison. Cause that is going to make it or break it all together. And then um, I would use a traditional corn tortilla. And then as far as, I wouldn't use lettuce. I would use some sort of cabbage because it has a little bit more crunch in it. Good call. Um, and then it would be some like lime crema. and Like Mexican cream, like crema that, that would, would. Yes, but it has real grated lime zest and lime juice in it. Now, did you buy the crema or did you? No, you, you make it from scratch. You can make crema from scratch. Well, you take the, the... I'm not testing you. I'm, no, I'm not enthused. the crema part. The actual lime crema together, all of that from scratch, yes. Oh, but you put all that together? Yes, not the actual crema now, itself. That's like sour cream, basically. 
so right now I've already seen some authenticity. I, I want to go back to it, but crema, just explain what that is. It's not sour cream. It's not like just taking a spoonful of sour cream, right? It's a, it's a real authentic Mexican topping. I, I, am I right of what you're talking about? Crema is, is, it's similar to a sour cream, but it's more of a lighter version. It's like a... Well, it's runnier, right? Kind yeah, of a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But that's because lime juice is in there, so it's going to make it a little bit more runny. But it's not as thick as sour cream, but you can use sour cream. I've used sour cream and whipped it with lime zest and lime juice for a crema. So you... you you started off with a marinade, but you jumped right past the marinade. Is it like a secret recipe that we can't have? No. It? Um, well, the one key ingredient to the marinade with venison is orange juice. For the acid. And lime juice. Mm-hmm. The acidity is going to break down the yes. meat. It's going to take the game out of it. Yes. You do this and cook it in this marinade, or this is your pregame marinade? You pregame that, and I would let it sit on in there for at least 24 hours. Really? Yeah. With I've marinated juice. sometimes depending on the size of the meat, um, 48 hours. 48 hours. And do you marinate for flavor or to break down the, the, the tendons and, and the ligaments and to, and to get the wild game and the taste, the, that, that kind of gaminess out of it? Because that would be where I, yeah. where I is that where I'm reading you right? Yes. That's what the marinade is. Yep. Okay, see, the, now this is legit because I'm more of a dry rub person when, okay. it, com- when it comes to seasoning meats. I'm, I've, I've developed this entire like theory of never again will I use a marinade. And interesting. It's interesting because yes. I never thought that I would do it. And I'm not ignoring your recipe. We're going back to it, but I do wet marinades to break down the acidity, whether it's Dr. Pepper, Coca-Cola, real 100% um, apple cider and not oh, apple okay. juice, but 100% apple cider. Did is you, the say, absolute you best. say Coca-Cola or, or Dr. Pepper? Yeah. And I've heard I've, I've had, meats that have been marinated in that, but so I like a little or, cleaner. It's not organic enough. That's not organic. It's, it's just, there's a lot of, chemi- there's a lot of chemicals in soda. You know what I mean? This is our first argument. This is our first argument. I think you could accomplish this with a different type of soda, but keep going. A different type of soda. Okay. So wet marinade is what apple I would use Apple cider vinegar. I'm hundred percent on board with that. Vinegar to use. Apple as a, cider vinegar. Is that what you said? No, just apple cider. 100% oh, apple cider. Apple cider. Okay. I can get it. Not I get, apple juice, not 50 50, but like I'll, I'm going to give you a recipe to try this fall. Okay. When we're done. And, but go on. Cause I, here's what I'm going, here's where I'm going with this, Laura, is that myself and a guy named Chad Ward, who he's won the grand eight or nine times, the biggest competi- biggest bar, uh, barbecue competition in the world. Impressive. He's in charge of barbecue team for Traeger. He's a full time employee at Traeger. He also Love owns, Traeger. He also owns a company in, in Florida called Whiskey Bent Barbecue. He's a certified, bona fide, bad ass. Awesome. Like, I mean, this dude can throw down. And then UFC fighter. Does he use Coca-Cola and Dr. Pepper? Oh, now you're cutting down. All right. We're going to fight. No, <laughs> no I, I, that was a legitimate question. Tom, I didn't know if he really does use those in his marinade. Tom, will you please get on the microphone here and tell her about the, <laughs> the food you eat at my house? Tom. Um, then Chad Mendez of the UFC, who just won his last fight in Boise, Idaho. Um, we have this cookbook coming out called Three Chads one cookbook and we're going to do edition one and then we're going to do edition two and edition three. And we're going to, it's, we're going to try to build this like little, um, organic living, living off the land, hunting, eating wild game. Um, I hashtag eat wild all the time for the last five years. So cool. I really not, uh, not le- up here. The, the wild means something different. I mean, that's your like hockey team and everything. I always hashtag built- wild in the kitchen for my stuff. I like so, that. Yeah. That's cool. And I always don't, hashtag don't I'm going to, unless you have a trademark. <laughs> But I want to take some of your recipes because we're going to have guest recipes in these books. Oh, and I, I want love to take, that. I want to take a Laura Share recipe. And this taco one, the, the reason I ask about tacos is that tacos can be really generic to where people think, oh, that's fantastic. And I'm just like, no, that's not really that authentic. So, so far you have a really authentic approach to it. And 
is this something did I catch you off guard with the taco recipe? Is that not something that you that you train that you you know cook with consistently? Or no, I love tacos. You know the doing the wild game cooking on um, the television show. We do so many recipes that sometimes when people ask me about a certain something, I have to like go in my Rolodex and be like, "How? What are some of the some of the really great ones that we've done in the past?" Um, I did a recently in my own kitchen. Um, an elk roast where I used coffee as the rub on it, which was amazing, amazing. Hey, they have, uh, Traeger and has a moose a, roast. I did Traeger that. has a Traeger has a new coffee rub. So I make my own rubs. See, you're yeah. Way so I than grind us. the coffee. You are like a, a Renaissance woman. Now you're making paprika. Your own rubs. It's so good. Okay, yeah. so now we got this. We got this lime infused crema. We got corn tortillas. We have marinated deer steak to, with orange juice and something else to break down. They say maybe a little Worcestershire. Yep. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. I can never say that word either. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. That's good too. And then everybody looks at you like, you don't even know. Whatever, dude. You don't even, you don't even no cook. No one knows how to say you that word. You don't even cook, dude. So you got the marinade. You got the meat in there. You got the, the real authentic corn tortillas. And now you got a lime infused. I love the word infused. Mm-hmm. It makes me sound like I know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Go with it. Okay, cream. And now yep. what? You got cilantro, tomatoes. Cilantro, avocado, and I'm going to leave it just like that. So so that's exactly what I was Simple. looking for. Like, Simple, right? Yeah. And that's what a lot of people would be like, you got to have so, like there's like 15 You got to have queso times. on it. You got to oh, yeah. have all this. Yeah, on no. It. no, you really don't. Because the, the, the main objective of this whole deal is to taste the, is to taste the meat. Like yes. that's, that's what we're going for here, right? Yes. People be like, yeah, that tasted like beef. Well, that wasn't my goal. That wasn't my goal was to make it just taste like beef. Like you got to under cooking what I've learned over the last few years of running with these people that can really cook. And I, I'm self, like I'm self, like acclaim, like, I don't know. I've never won a contest. Everybody is. I have the But there's actually people that have judges go, you're the best. Oh yeah, that's right? true. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot that. of time. Yeah, yeah, we're not into that. We should have a cooking team in the Grand in Kansas City in September. You could come that do the celebrity good. cooking. I'd deal. love it. Okay, I'm inviting you right now, Tom. Okay. We're inviting Laura to Kansas City for the for the Royal. It's the biggest in the world. 150,000 people come to this deal at the racetrack in Kansas City. Traeger has a 90 by 90 foot tent. Grilling going on everywhere. Competitions going on. We're going to have the podcast set up there. A bunch of Kansas City Royals Fun. are coming out. A bunch of Chiefs are coming out. Oh, we can't mention those sports teams up here. Um, the twins aren't going to be, the twins are in town that we can play in the Royals. We can, are they? Yeah. You can, we're going to go to the Royals game. Um, Fun. yeah. So we could all like, it'll be a badass time and we could cook, we could do a, a, a cooking contest against some of the pros there. We could oh, throw yeah, for down sure and, we'd win that. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, I talk, like Chad Ward can cook. Huh? Yeah. He's there I can't all the, wait till we're like in the competition. All of a sudden we hear this crack of a can. We hear a crack of a can to open up the cola to pour in as our marinade. That's three times you've teased me about the Coca Cola. <laughs> no. Tom hit. Pa- I mean, how are we? How are we going to win this competition? Tom hit pause. <laughs> we don't need to record her anymore. Um, so now the, we got this venison taco recipe that's yes. simplified. It's simple. Always. All all of your recipes are simple. Yes, because we don't want them that complicated. Because um, it's going to scare the fact people that away. It's going to scare people away. And my goal with doing the cooking segment is that I said we are never going to use a crock pot and cream of mushroom soup. We're not doing it because I think it's we, easy we use to a cook. crock pot. So for something else, or you just can never use a crock pot or does it have well, to be? With- I mean, you could, but it's more like the kind of the, 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 um, everybody uses cream of mushroom soup when they're cooking wild game. They try to like cover it up. And that's the running joke that we just, de- I decided that we can never use cream of mushroom soup or a crock pot. We got to show that it's easy to do gourmet recipes that are simple. 
because gourmet can be simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. And within these cooking segments, is it always in a kitchen or do you have an outdoor kitchen set up too? Are you grilling as well? Uh, we've done some things over a campfire to show people unique ways to um, cook gourmet, even on when you're out and about and for shore lunches or if you're camping. Um, but most of it is done in a kitchen. So you just said some words right there that I, I learned... And we're close to Canada. We're way closer to Canada than I would be where I call home. Uh-oh. Um, the first time I heard the word shore lunch was in Canada, um, up in northern Saskatchewan. Lake trout, um, pike, uh, they, they, catch some, they catch a fish, they get back to the shore. And to me, it's, it's such a cool idea. Like, yes. It's like as gourmet as it gets. It's like living off the land that quick. Of being able to go back in Argentina when you go dove hunt, I don't know if you've experienced that yet, but that the 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 bird boys will go out and pick up like fifty dove and they'll come back and that'll be your appetizer for lunch. So every, good every day, right? It's just like fresh dove right mm-hmm. there. Shore lunch, like is that the do you live that life or do you just do that on TV? Do you do you and your dad have a lot of shore lunches growing up? Was that a part of your childhood? Uh, it depends on the day we were having. If we were river fishing with a group and we had a certain destination we were going to get to and we were filming all day long. Yeah. We would stop and have shore lunch on um, the side of the river. We otherwise, it depends, you know, if we were fishing at the cabin, no, we'll take the walleye in and have it that night for dinner. So it kind of just depends on the situation, but shore lunch is definitely, um, it is a, a popular way to enjoy your, your harvest when you're out in the lake for the day. That's for sure. A lot of people have shore lunches. Okay, so I call you on the phone and I say, Laura, Chad, you go, hey, Chad. And I go, need a recipe for a cookbook coming up. And you go, all right, what's the theme? And I say, I want a walleye recipe that's not battered and not deep fried. Because a lot of fish fries, Wisconsin, Minnesota, you go on Friday night fish night, it's always like batter fried. And I, I'm not saying that's bad. I, if the batter's right and the grease is right and it's clean and, and, and people know how to dip and they get it right and they cook it for the right amount of minutes each time mm-hmm. and the texture's good and the flavor's there and you don't have to use a ton of tartar sauce or cocktail sauce, I love that part of a walleye. But if I say I need something that's not battered, teach me something here. I'm really wanting to learn this. I want to know how to cook a walleye that I'm, that's going to be awesome for my friends, my family, that's not deep fat fried. Not deep fat fried. Well, a lot of people love it that way. Um, I've had walleye served where it's been cooked on a grill with a paper bag that's been soaked in olive oil. And that actually has some, a really good flavor to it. Um, and also you know, wrapping it in um, like the banana leaf and or parchment paper and, you know, having lemon and herbs and dill or whatever else you want to put in there. That's a good preparation. But, you know, walleye is best pretty much pan fried or deep fried typically. Um, but, you know, the uh, just the other day we did walleye on a stick, which got a lot of um, comments on Facebook due to the fact that people didn't believe it could happen, that you could actually cook walleye on a stick and eat it on a stick because it's such a white flaky fish. And we poached the walleye in water, skin off, and then mixed it with a combination of potato that was mashed with some egg and um, some fresh herbs. And you kind of mold the walleye around the stick, but then you do roll it in some panko breadcrumbs and fry it really quick, but it's so fra- it's flash fried so fast that it's not as heavy coated in batter. That was that was really good, and people were like, "That's amazing! It you can put like walleye on a stick." Yeah, you can make a killing at a fair or a rodeo or something with that. I know. Well, it was it was fun. The chef and I were cooking those together, and um, as we were filming, I was molding my walleye on a stick, 
And as he was molding his, they were like perfectly round and like the perfect form of a walleye on a stick. And mine looked like complete misfits. They were lumpy in places and he totally separated them out, which I thought was So which one would a customer pick? They would pick the one with more character. Like, oh, that one's Probably. I was like, wait a minute. Are you separating the perfect ones from the misfit ones right now? Like, I'm not going to say who rolled which one, but it was pretty funny. So you have the deer tacos. That was my idea. Then I asked venison you, the, I asked the, the venison tacos. I have the walleye. My moose roast was, with the coffee rub is the ultimate. So then if I said you pick to put in this thing that you really want people to get out and you want to put a recipe in this cookbook. It would be my moose roast with the coffee rub. Or you could do an elk roast or venison roast. Really? Yeah. And it's co- just a homemade coffee rub. And you would give me the, are you going to give that out right now? Yeah, I would have to go, you know, this is what happens is I kind of wing things in the kitchen. And that was one of the days I was just winging it and decided to put together some coffee grounds. Um, I used espresso and also it was paprika, garlic, I think a few other things. I did write it down because I, it was almost one of those things I kind of surprised myself on how it turned out because I didn't know if it was going to turn out. I was doing something for my blog. Um, But then I seared it in the, um, the Le Creuset um, cast iron. Court. It's not like, it's, it's not, I keep the Dutch oven. Dutch oven. Thank you very much. Um, and then I finished the whole thing in the oven, but, and then I added uh, Cabernet wine so you, and so carrots you had it and everything else at the bottom. It, like it was real tender then through the Dutch oven. Extremely. And then when you but put, I seared it first. So you seared it? All sides. Beautiful. And then in the oven, you just cook it to perfection in the oven to where really you can, slow and low. So you can control the heat a little bit more than you can on a Dutch oven. Yes. And I added, um, red wine and just cut up vegetables on the bottom just to retain moisture. And what did the, what did the outside of it feel like? Was it crusty? Yes. Oh, that's like a prime then rib. It fell like apart. A, like a prime rib. Mm-hmm. But the coffee and the wine, somehow that combination together was killer. If Tom would get on the microphone right now and I'm not asking him to because he hates when I do this to him, but he would probably tell you like, he's like, we got to do a cookbook over the last five years. You've got to get your recipes out there. And I, every, he would tell you this, Tom, in my line that I would look at him and go, I really don't even remember what I put in it. Sometimes I've done that too. That's do, the problem. You got to write it down right away. You have to write mm-hmm. it down, but they, then you use the words you surprise yourself. And that's what I do all the time. Like, damn, that was a good idea. And then I'm like, got my chest popped out a little bit. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's my <laughs> recipe. And really it was just pure luck. I did put mine on my blog. So it is up there, which is wildlylyliving.com. So the, wildly, the coffee rub moose roast is on the blog. I did post it. Okay. So wildlyliving.com yes. is a digital blog. Yes. By your, by you. Yes. Like you, you started this it's your baby it is and is it all food or is there also things that go into decorations the porch life yes uh, how to make the most ultimate set of badass cornhole boards like i see you being like this lady that would be kind of like the country bumpkin marcia stewart that you can really like outfit a home a hunting lodge a, a grill a back porch a swimming pool party a hunting camp um you have all of that going on and wildly living is, is what is with your list of hobbies? Is that what it is? Would you say that that's what I do? Or is there another side of Laura? That's like you, you love concerts, you love music festivals, you love going to watch hockey games. What, what is your, what do you like to do? I heard, I heard it was kind of eavesdropping on a story you were telling before this about this ice skating incident. You're a badass ice skater or you're not. So what are some of your hobbies? <laughs> Oh my goodness. I just love adventure, period. Um, anything that gets me out and about. But I hobbies would be, um, first and foremost, I do a lot of working out. I mentioned that. I love going to concerts. My music taste really ranges from um, country music to hip hop to R&B, whatever. I kind of like it all. 
Um, what kind of country music lore? Don't go too far ahead. We got to figure this uh-oh, one out first. Uh-oh. Is it I Florida like Georgia Line? A uh, couple of their songs. Uh, I um, I really love old school classic country. So like Johnny Cash, look, Waylon Jennings. Okay, let me hear a lyric. Edgar Allan Poe. David Allen Co. Thank you. <laughs> I couldn't Allen get Poe. that one. Edgar Allen Poe. I was like, who's G- that guy? That's me, somebody else. Give me some lyrics. <laughs> um, Do you like uh, David Allen Co. when he goes, you don't have to call me darling. It was, what's his song? Darling. It's like, um, it was all I could do to keep from crying. You got a pretty voice. That's the same song. Is but it the song? Singing, yeah, okay. but you know the lyric. You don't have to call me. Waylon Jennings, something like that. You don't have to call me. She's got a nice little voice, Tom. I'm gonna. Well, my mom was a singer. Oh, really? Yes. What do you mean was? Well, when she um, grew up in North Dakota on a farm, and I just found this out, my mom was Miss um, Durham Wheat of North Dakota, which was a pageant, uh, which then launched her into Miss North Dakota, and then to the Miss America pageant. So she was a singer um, her whole life, and actually still does sing. But then. She was a professional singer when I was younger. My sister and I were little. And then as we got older, she went and was a music school teacher. So, and my dad's a singer. That's how they met. My dad was a nightclub singer back in, I think it was the late 60s, early 70s. He was a nightclub singer. So growing up, like you would have the ultimate party then. I mean, pops are singing, mom's singing. Oh, yeah. It was like the Von Trapps. We were all singing. So you know that uh, Johnny Cash, like, daddy sang bass, mama sang mama. I don't know the words to it. I'm not a big Johnny Cash fan. I know that's weird to say because most people are like, oh, the man in black's a legend. I I got mad love for him. He's respectful. I love his love his image. But like to me, it's like I love Don Williams. I love Willie. I love Merle Haggard. I think Merle Haggard's the best of all time. He's his voice was so perfect. Um we were singing a little Dwight. Midnight Rider, what's that song? That's Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash? Can't stop the midnight ride. Willie did it. Johnny did it. I couldn't tell you who wrote it. I think it might have been the Allman Brothers band that wrote it. I think Greg Allman wrote that song. Tom, can you Google uh, Midnight Rider? Don't want to catch the Midnight Rider, Willie. Um, but you know who I really love today is Jamie Johnson. You like Jamie Johnson? Jamie Johnson is good. Really good. Okay, sing some in color. Oh, I don't. See, this is where I get put on. I'll start the, you. I'll okay. start. Grandpa, what's this picture here? It's all black and white. It ain't is real that really, clear. I mean, that might be out of my range. I'm just being honest. Really Jack. in color. Yes. You, you got to learn that one. Bye I know tomorrow. the song. But okay. I don't know the, the whole lyrics. So when we're at the concert tomorrow and Zach goes, uh, I'd like to introduce everybody to uh, local celebrity Laura oh, Shea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bringing her up here to do a duet. She's going to pick whatever Zach Brown song sh- she wants to do. Do you know his library enough to pick I a duet? I do, I do. Which um, one are you going to do? Is she's walking away? Or what are you going to roll with? That one's good. I um, What's the other one about Annie? Dear Annie? Sweet Sweet Annie. Annie. See, I'm always one word off when I go to a song title. Sweet Annie. Sweet Annie's good. Um, cold weather. Colder weather. Colder weather. Weather. Yeah. That's my favorite one. Oh my God. It's my favorite. Is Zach it? Brown. Yes. Come on now. Yeah. Cause he talks about, he talks about the truck stop and sing it for me. At a What's truck the song? stop just outside of Lincoln. Yes. But what is the song he, op- he opens that song with? That is not his song. Live. Oh man. I don't know. I should know. Cause I've seen him 400 times. There's He's, a song yeah, that, that he always sings with that that is not, I don't yeah. think he didn't write the song. Is it a, um, a Morrison song or something? Van Morrison? Oh, it might yeah. be. It might be. God, hold on a second. Let's see. We got to we gotta look this up now. Hold on one second. What? 
Oh, what did I say? Did I say? No, I said the Allman Brothers wrote it, right? We're making a phone call here right now, live right. on This Life Ain't for Everybody to ask a simple question. Hey, I'm, I'm in the middle of a podcast right now, and we had a quick uh, Zach Brown um, trivia question. Going into colder weather, is there a song that Zach starts it out with that's not his own that he like plays a little bit of as he goes into colder weather? He just goes into colder weather. Not, uh, not at every show. I mean, I don't know if he's ever done it before. I can't I thought I'm about you to would. look at something myself. We're going to have to look it up ourselves. <laughs> Chad Payne, say hi to Laura Shera. She's a local celebrity here in Minnesota. She's the one that I asked you for the ticket for last night. This is a uh, say hi to her. Hello. Good. How are you? I'm great. You're coming to the show tomorrow? Yes. I'm so excited. Looking forward to it. Hey, Google. We have, we Google, have perfect Minnesota weather for it too. Google Laura Shara right now on your phone. Um, L A U R A and then S C H A R A. She's a local celebrity. She's a badass. She's going to bring a, a moose roast with coffee rub for you guys to eat tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. There it is, right there. All right, I'll haul her back. But okay, this so that, is my favorite. One of my favorite country songs, right here. Play it in the microphone. Let's hear it. I can do to keep, keep from, from crying. Ooh, I'm just gonna let her say it. <laughs> yeah, it seems so useless to remain. Yes, that's David Allen. That's Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I've never. I don't know how I got that screwed up, but every once in a while, I have one of those moments. Hey, go back up to that picture right there. What are you doing right there, Laura? Um, that's when I was shooting the TV show Survival Science with the Outdoor Channel, and they sent us to a real survival training school in the, um, in California. And they were very serious at that school on how they basically taught you if you were to be naked and afraid in the woods on how you could survive off of anything. Um, what happens if you sit on a pine cone? The and land. You're naked? It's going to hurt. Yeah, but I mean, these are but the things. But we had to build our own, um, our own little forts there with our firewalls and um, figure out how to do it and how long it was going to take us. And there I'm laying in my own pine needle bed. That's sick. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. That's All I can say is Mark. whatever you do, if you go out, always have waterproof matches with you. Because if you think you're going to start a fire under the adrenaline of A, you're terrified because you have to spend the night out there alone. But that you think you can start a fire with two sticks is crazy, crazy how challenging it is. And we did it, but it took a lot of coaching. Even Nick Munt was realizing how complicated it could be that waterproof matches will save your life in a lot of ways. Water, boiling water. But that was fun. What, and how many episodes of that did you do? We shot um, a total of, was it? 12, 15 episodes, I think. And it was on the Outdoor Channel. It was on the Outdoor Channel, yes. You and Nick did it. And I saw one episode, one that was sticking out in my mind is the tree stand safety. Yes. It, were you doing your own stunts on there? Was that a mannequin? I can't remember. Like, it, we you did a little freak, bit of both. Weren't you freaked out a little bit? I was a little freaked out because when someone says, go ahead and step off the tree stand and let the harness catch you, the safety harness, I was like, I'm sorry, what do you want me to do? Because I knew as soon as I stepped off the tree stand, my head was going to swing back and clunk the tree anyway. So I was trying to figure out the most graceful way to get off it. But it's not easy to 
literally just step off a tree stand into No, it's kind of like these dudes that bungee jump or like just fall off these bridges and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but there's you know? no bungee, remember. Yeah, there's it's, nothing. It's a safety rope that's stitched in a way that the stitching will rip out slowly, but so you'll kind of slowly go like an accordion, like down, and it'll catch you. So there's no like elastic type of... Um, safety harness that you're wearing. But anyway, it was, that was a very good learning experience on how people don't realize um, the mistakes they can make with tree stands and safety and how they use certain um, ropes that are, have been old and sitting in the sun for years and they don't think to replace them. And soon enough, they, the tree stand goes a fallen. Yeah. Gotta be careful. There's a lot of injuries and accidents yearly in our country that, you know, Tree stand safety is a huge thing in our industry now as far as the apparatuses that are being designed and engineered for um, the safety part of it. Um, the vest, the, the, the things to, to attach onto the stand to wrap around the tree. There, I, to me, like that's a no-brainer, right? Like that's going to be the first thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, how can those mistakes happen? How can somebody fall out of that tree? And I, I just can't imagine that. And I know, like, my buddy Ned Yost, who's the manager of the Kansas City Royals, had a bad accident last year. And he, it was before hunting season. And he fell out and he was in a wheelchair in spring training to start the season, you know? Oh my goodness. And his doctors told him he was lucky to be alive, you know, from what he told me. So, you know, did that- he fall asleep? How did he fall out? Something to do with a misstep or something. Ha- it was when they were putting the stands up. That's a lot of times when they happen. And sometimes if you're using a ladder stand that, um, you know, a lot of them will angle them out to the tree, but not far enough where they're still too vertical. And as you start climbing up, you don't realize it till you're way up there. And then the whole tree stand can bend backwards and- snap right on you and which is harder to do we tried so, to so you have credibility you, you're on this tv show and you have this audience watching you like they're like learning from you they're taking notes they're they're entrusting in you and nick to teach them how we have experts on the show with us teaching us teaching so, and we kind of go through the experiments together to showcase what can happen if you don't take the right steps to be cautious or take the time to set up your tree stand appropriately. We kind of go through the experiments of what would happen if you did fall. So and then you, the expert is there to teach us the right way. So I go to game fair tomorrow and I, I know yes. that you're going to be there. Game fair is awesome. I've been there several times, both weekends. 37 years in running. Your dad's a big wig there. Now you're taking over the realm. And My the dad PM. and I share the, the microphone duties. So you don't have an expert there, but this lady walks up to you and say, Hey, Miss Laura, can my daughter wants to get into wants to get into hunting. Talk to me a little bit. Like, I know you get presented with this all the time. Sure. You're taking on again, that responsibility of having a voice in this industry. You're making a living in this industry. You're developing credibility and trust in these, in these women, these men that are raising these kids. Somebody wants you to help get them started. Give me some of the bullet points that you try to cover of getting a young woman involved in this, an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, you taking her under your wing and, and showing her how to become the next Laura Shearer or how to become a, a, a reliable, responsible outdoorsman that's going to go out and be safe and be ethical and have compassion and have the heart of a hunter and understand what the big picture, all of that goes into what you, what you teach. I don't like to use the word preach, but when you're, when you're guiding somebody or trying to influence somebody, give, sure. me, some of the, give me some of the, the pointers that you give them. I get a lot of women that come up that want to learn how to shoot a shotgun. And um, obviously, number one, first and foremost, is safety and getting really comfortable with handling a shotgun, um, what to do, you know, when it's not loaded, et cetera. Obviously, getting gun safety is the first and foremost important. But also the fact that um, having a gun that fits you and your body, I think, is was a tip that was given to me and is also, I think, mandatory for women that want to get started 
if they want to have um, more success and accuracy. And I always give it the example of trying to golf with your husband's golf clubs. It just is not the same. The gun doesn't fit you correctly. And it really becomes uh, about repetition. And the more that you're out there practicing, the more that you practice the movement of bringing the gun up to your shoulder and getting your face down on the gun is what is going to give you success in the field. And I still need to work on that today. Like it just doesn't ever stop. Like if you stop golfing, your golf game is going to go downhill. That's the same thing with shooting. And, um, you know, even at the, they call it, you know, taking a dry run or whatever, if you're in your house and your gun's not loaded, just constantly practicing the moment, the movement of bringing the gun up to your face and getting it prepped right into your shoulder. So when you're out in the field, it becomes really instinctual to shoot versus you trying to mess with in your mind of how your shoulder and your head is placed on your gun. So that's a lot of the tips that I give, but I hired a coach and I still hire coaches. I still try to go out and shoot with people that are way better than me by far um, in order for me to get better. That's, I do that all the time. And I'm, even if I'm in the field, I'm always still looking for tips because somebody inevitably might be, have something of good um, quality information they can give me to make me a better shooter and more accurate. So I'm always willing to learn more because I need to. You're never perfect. And, but if you don't practice, don't expect a lot out of yourself. So, and also don't get frustrated because a lot of times it's, you're not going to hit, even if you're shooting clay pigeons, you're not going to hit them every single time. Like I said, I am the queen of hunt and release in the pheasant field. I have taken more heat and more trash talk from my dad, my sister, everybody. And for some reason, you know, I was quail hunting. I went, it was my first time quail hunting down in Kansas um, last fall. And that was much more instinctual for me because they move so fast. I was hitting way more quail than I ever hit a pheasant. And I think I have too much time in my brain. Thinking too much. Yes. Like anything in sports, you try to think out, think of baseball or whatever. And I miss them left and right. But quail, for some reason, it's so fast, you don't even have time to think. And I mean, you have to think because there's a lot of moving parts in quail hunting, obviously the dogs and everything else. And quail are like, I mean, sometimes quail are flying right towards your nose. So you've got to just be aware of your surroundings. But um, I enjoyed that more because I was shooting better. The other thing I see in the Midwest, um, in this part of the country, the Dakotas, all the way down the, the you know, into Kansas, Nebraska, Arkansas, Oklahoma, over into Louisiana, that there's a lot of youth programs and oh, yeah. um, and and even high school sporting clays uh, teams that are being brought back into the forefront of things and money being raised, donors giving money. Shotgun company sponsoring. I know Federal Ammunition is part of some of them. Our company, Banded, um, is making things like, you know, different belts and vests and stuff for, and, and gun cases and, and ammo bags and gear bags for that high school shooter. Because in my opinion, in the outdoors and getting people involved, whether it's women or kids or a new man that, that wants to get into it, is confidence is everything. And if you go at something and you fail at it, the chances of you wanting to go again, unless you're really, really strong-minded... They, they start to shrink. The odds start to shrink that you'll want to keep going. So I think if you can present situations to, to breed that confidence into them, whether it's you know that this first hunt isn't going to spoil them, but it's going to give them a little bit of taste of what it can be, or this first fishing trip, he is going to feel that nibble and understand how to set that hook and reel in and how to remove a hook from a fish's mouth and how to hold a fish for a picture and how to how to fillet a fish, whatever it is, fillet a fish. You don't eat at McDonald's, do you? I didn't say fillet a fish. I didn't mean fillet a fish. But all of that stuff going into it is that I think that confidence is king in this space. And if we can teach what you're talking about of being able to keep your cheek down on or how to you know use your shotgun and understanding patterning and choke tubes and how to keep your barrel moving through the shooting zone to let you know, let that bird fly into that pattern. 
a lot of the big, the first mistake that a lot of people make is they think they just point and shoot. And that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. Yep. So uh, that mom coming up to you and you being able to speak on, Hey, I didn't come up with all this. These aren't my theories. I'm glad that you're looking at me as the voice, but I just want you to know that, you know, my credibility was gained through my dad and through my coaches. And, and I'm, and, and it's cool to see you pay homage to that and not be like, Oh yeah, I'm this badass shooter. And I'm badass no, fisherman. I still have a lot to learn when it comes to shooting. Like it, and, but I'm always humbled by it, but that's what I love about being in the outdoors is I think it can teach you some of the greatest life lessons. One is being humbled and two is failure. And I think those two things um, can play big roles in your business career or any sort of other thing. <laughs> hey, um, in your career, even when you go into the workplace is failure is the feedback champion. So anytime you are missing out in the field, you have to kind of take a step back and think about, well, how, what did I do? How am I going to do it differently the next time? And that's the only way you grow and get better is truly by failing. So sometimes I think failure really is a good thing. And I've been humbled numerous times when I've been out there. And it was Jordan or somebody said that you never can win until you fail. And the outdoors is humbling. Like always I've missed, I was getting addicted to archery hunting. I had to quit archery hunting in the Midwest for whitetail because I, I think I could have got pretty good at it because the more you do something, the more confidence I was going to get at it. But I missed this big eight point. They said it was probably 162 to 167 somewhere really big for an eight point. And I don't think that it was really the horns that did it to me. It was more the situation of being up in that tree stand and, and, and always hearing that whitetails were like the, the ghosts of the woods and boom, there he is on me. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know what to do. My core, my trunk is in the wrong position. I can't get my feet. Can I stand up? Is he going to look up? They have no natural predators above them. So they very rarely look up there. If I make a noise, he's going to look up there. He's going to spook. Am I going to get shot? And sure enough, I screwed it up. And I'm like, oh my God, my, that feeling that I had was so, Defeat. yeah, and I was defeated and there's tears in my eyes on camera. I'm looking up at the two, I had camera guy in this tree and one in my tree and they're both on me and I'm crying like a baby, not like, like pity party, but just like, oh my God, I can't, you know, that just happened so fast. And that's the deer that we had on the trail camera. And, and, and I was like, man, this is awesome. That feeling right there is what you want. Like when I see, when I take people from Benelli, I've had George Thompson or JP Fisher in the, in the, in the blind with me in North Dakota or like Argentina two weeks ago or Kansas on the Arkansas river. And they're Leith Lofton. One of my buddies in Nashville, he will tell people I, he, I hate hunting with Chad because he never calls a shot. And they're like, why don't you call the shot so we can kill these ducks? And I'm like, because I'm like in awe of them. I'm so like mystified by the power of nature. Mm -hmm. And when I was looking down at that muskie today, swimming around, knowing that he's, he's knowing I'm not going to bite this hook, but I'm going to put on a show for these guys. And I'm going to get this dude, Mitch, to tell this story of another follower, whatever they call it, all the way up to the boat. I'm looking at it like, dude, look at that thing. He's lived in here for years and years and years. He's seen this so many times. And that's what the outdoors does to me of like, if you can get that message across and the humbling effect that mother nature and that God and whether, whatever religious background that you have, as long as you're spiritual, because the woods, the lakes, the mountains, the foothills, the marshes, a boat ride, a four wheeler ride on that dirt road, getting back to how we started this deal. And I love talking to you and I appreciate you being here is what I do it for. That's why I do it. And that's the message that I always try to get out, whether it's this podcast or the TV show or a live event or an appearance is the feeling of entitlement is what destroys a community. It's what destroys an attitude. It's what destroys a, a, a common goal trying to be reached. Entitlement is, is BS. It's like, we're not entitled to any of this. Mm -mm. We're lucky as hell to be able to wake up and get that boat in the water and be able to enjoy that on a Thursday morning. 
That's humbling. Mm -hmm. And I think that once people see that message and listen to a girl like you talk with, it doesn't care if people think you're beautiful or if somebody accuses you of being a sex symbol, like we've talked about throughout this podcast, or that you've gotten somewhere in life because of the way you look or what your dad's name was. When they hear you talk and they get to know you on that form that the woods can bring, or that a conversation in a boat or a duck blind can bring, or just sitting down with you across a table like this on this podcast, that I think you've been taught by the woods. I think that the woods and the lakes of Minnesota have taught you way more than the University of Wisconsin at Madison did. Absolutely. And I think when you talk, that's what I hear. I always try to die, to, to, to do a forensic audit on people when I talk to them. And I've always been accused of being too critical. And I think that my, my critiques of people are probably because I expect a lot out of people because I want to deliver a lot to people. And that might be a downfall. I don't really know that if it is or not. But when you hear somebody like you talk and being the first woman to come on the woman to come on this podcast... And to, to be able to talk of everything that we did and then still be able to lay down recipes. The, the number one thing that I got out of you is your humility. I really thought like, man, she might have a chip on her shoulder. Is she, <laughs> is she going to really take this invite to the podcast series? And I'm and Mitch is like, dude, she's a, she's an angel. And I'm like, and you are. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a humbling experience for me to get to know you at this level. I would love to get in the woods with you and a duck blind yes, with you. Absolutely. It'd be fun. Maybe a little competition, maybe a little cooking competition after because this, this moosh roast or the, the things that you're good at. I, I, I take that as more of a, I want to learn how to do it. I want to learn, like, do you really know your way around a knife? Can you take, can you take a knife and, and, and take a moose brisket and cut it up and get the, the crown off of it and get it right? Like, I'm not challenging you, but I would be like, <laughs> man, this is so cool that, that you know your way around a knife and you know your way around a grill. And, and that's where I was going with the whole theme of this, Laura, is if you assume that that girl with the tan lines in the holster on her, with her stomach showing on Instagram is real. I would challenge somebody to really find out what the substance and the core of somebody is before they pass judgment. Don't beat somebody up without knowing what they've done to get to where they're at. And when I hear of somebody like you, that's had a head start in life and where you're at, as far as what your dad did, obviously your dad taught you the right way to do it because you could have come off of like, Hey, I do this and this is me and that, and you don't. And I think that's what the woods have taught you. So with your upbringing and your mom singing songs and your dad singing songs and you guys hearing that and knowing what, what pride is and what family is and what unity is and what sacrifice is and what work ethic is. That's what would turn somebody on about the lifestyle of Laura Shearer. Not the big muskie, not the big moose, not anything that you've killed or caught. That's what I get out of meeting somebody like you. And that's why I think that the outdoors are so freaking important that they get us humbled enough to break down and share those experiences and what you taught about the stories and the tales of what hunting is and what being a woman in the outdoors really means. So I applaud it. I think it's badass. I think that the girls that get to meet you at Game Fair are lucky. The boys that get to meet you at Game Fair are lucky to hear Thank your you. story. And I think that if you put this platform in a bigger scheme of things than what you're doing on a local level. I think that your voice needs to be heard on such a bigger level of what it means to be humbled by the woods or Absolutely. the water. I actually do quite a bit of public speaking and my entire speech is on, on the things the outdoors has taught me. And that has been the most important lessons I've, I've gotten, um, to date are from the outdoors and spending time in the outdoors. And I have my dad, um, I have to give him credit for bringing me out there and, and 
guiding me through those processes. But a lot of times he's allowed the outdoors to teach me what I need to know to survive in today's real world. And that is about being um, consistent and persistent and the fact that things aren't given to you and you have to work hard for them and that failure is part of it and that you will be humbled very quickly and that it's, if you are humbled, you, ha- you can't quit. And that is the point of just driving in your own lane and not worrying about all the noise that you're seeing in Instagram or social media and that you set goals for yourself and you work hard every single day to chip away at them. And that is really what drives me every day is just the power of connection through the outdoors, I think is number one. And that the reason I believe that we're, our purpose on this planet is to have um, meaningful connections and relationships with people. And the outdoors does that for people. It connects people tremendously through the gift of sharing a duck blind together, a fishing boat, but the story you walk away with together that you share and those stories that are passed on generationally from your great-grandfather. And as I said, cavemen were doing it back in the day of writing their stories and sharing their hunting stories around a campfire. Those things still happen today. It's in our DNA to do that. It's in our DNA to connect to people. And people are connecting less and less and less through social media and other sources that we have, which I think is the wrong direction. And that's why the outdoors is so important. And that's wow, that's badass. And this is what I would challenge you to do. And I, right. want, I want you to think about this for a second, but and you don't have to answer now. You don't even have to, you know, put a premise on it right now, but go home and think about doing this more, not with this, not with me, not with anybody else, but your own. Think about this premise of what you can do and we can help you with getting set up. And I'm sure you got tons of connections and, and, and with your dad and everybody, as far as the production of something goes, but your voice and your message is strong. And I've challenged you to find the guests that motivate you, find guests that intrigue you, find that, find somebody that is going to go to sleep to your voice and tell your dad that, Hey, I listened to Laura's podcast last night and the way she spoke and the way she talked and the way that she formatted these stories and presented these stories and her intelligence and her humility. Think about being able to get it out more so than just what I can bring with one episode. And I pray that we get to do it again. Maybe pray, maybe pray is not the right word, but I really hope that we can do it again and have more of it because I think that the voice you have and of what you speak for in women and the things that we touched on today, I think we could do a lot of it of not really investigation, but breaking down what the woods really mean to us. And I think that that message is what people want. We just aired this episode this week called South Dakota Masterpiece. And we were in the Terry Redland Museum in Watertown, South Dakota, which he's, his gift to, to us was amazing. And Julie has been there like 30 years, 25, 30 years. She used to go to his house and get his final piece and bring it to be framed. Wow. He would call her and say, I'm ready, Julie. And he'd go over there when he was sick. Here it is. He'd sign it. She watched him sign them. And I'm just like getting goosebumps here. No pun intended. I'm like, holy frick, that's badass. Cause that's Terry Redlin. I mean, yeah. every DU dinner, every Delta banquet, everything you went to growing up, there was Mr. Terry there, his paintings. And she's at the, she's giving us the tour. And at the end of it, we're sitting there looking at this Terry Redlin painting and the moon and the lights on in the house and the dog on the porch and the truck with the exhaust coming out of it and dad getting ready to go get cut firewood or something. And he just told that story of American Americana that means everything to me and, and the, and the people that I like to run with. And she looks at it and she goes, Chad, that's what people are trying to get back to. Mm-hmm. They're trying to find that again. So we're he- we got the head start because that's how we live every day. Sure. We're blessed to do it. And your dad did a great job in doing that. So get 
it out there more. I'm challenging you and I would love to hear it more. I would love to come be a guest on it. Come up with a clever name. I don't care what you do. Living Wildly with Laura Shearer, your voice is badass. So I applaud it. And thank you you so much for being here and letting us come into your world for a little bit. Tomorrow night, Zach Brown, Target Field, Minneapolis, Minnesota on a Friday night. We'll see if you know how to dance because Mitch (laughs) is like, I'm the king. I'm the swing dancing champion of Minnesota. His wife was begging him to swing dance last night. And he's like, "Uh, I don't want to show off swing dancer? Yeah, Tom, like his wife was like, yeah, I want to swing. I want to dance. So we're supposed to go dance somewhere tonight, but now I guess he's got like this in-law deal that he's got to go to. So he's like, sub us <laughs> off. But thank you. Um, thank you for having me. And if you have any final words, I'm going to ask you one more question because after I got this, I want to see what, where it is. And then you, you close it out. By the way, this is Chad Belling with another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. We usually do the intro more towards the intro or, or in the middle, but I got so into the conversation, which is good. Um, but it's been an awesome podcast. And when you talk about adrenaline, when you talk about the hair stand up on the back of the neck, you're an outdoor woman, you're an outdoor hunter, you're a fisherwoman. You, you've been there, you've done that, but you love it. You're, you want to learn more. You're not afraid to say who you taught you. You don't take credit for any of that stuff. You take credit for staying focused. You take credit for staying driven. So would you, would you just, as far as that adrenaline goes and the outdoor feeling, and I know you love musky fishing because that's what you're concentrating on with the rod and reel right now. Would you rather be behind a world-class pointing dog with his tail up and his front leg up pointing down on a quail or a pheasant, knowing that that is going to flush in a second? Cause I know you've done some work on the flush on outdoor channel as well. You've been on there. Or would you rather see that musky fall that hook and bite it and let that mouth fill up with water and go for that little arm wrestling battle mm. that you're about to have? What's your choice? Oh, it's a tough choice. You know, I, I will, I think I'm going to go with the musky because it's fewer and far between to have a musky on the end of your line. I, the there's, I love hunting behind pointers and quail hunting. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of um, fast movement, a lot of adrenaline. Um, part of the fun as well as, is I also say are the misses and the trash talk that goes along when you're with friends. Um, I think that's also part of my enjoyment of that, but Having a big musk on the end of your line and knowing how rare it is to um, to have that opportunity. And there are people that travel from all over the world to Minnesota because we have some of the best fishing waters on this planet that we're gifted to have some muskies and a lot of muskies in our in our lakes that um, there's something pretty special about that. They call it musky fever for a reason. And I think I might have it. <laughs> Oh, that's badass. That's a song. Yes. Musky fever. I think I might have it. Go ahead. Let's do it. Say it. Musky fever. Musky fever. I think I might have there, look at that. It. Look at that. We got those pulled up. Whoa. I mean, just a couple. Who's that? Who's that girl? Laura Shearer with the musky. Where, where yes. were we at? What, what happened today? The one on the bottom right was on Halloween. So we were singing the Monster Mash. Can and that thing. Oh, hell no. <laughs> Can you take us tomorrow? <laughs> All right. No, I got to give credit to my guide, Josh. He's a blue ribbon bait and tackle. Um, He is a musky genius. He and I go out a few times. Travis Frank caught had that was Lake Minnetonka, the one on the top there. Um, He was able to help me get my first musky. He's also amazing. But, you know, the guides that they're in their backyard all the time catching these things, I let them take me to their hot spots. Do you so. see what I mean? How there's like no bone structure. It's like, it's just like flopping, like just yeah. like laying there like a blanket. They're heavy. There's no doubt. There is no doubt, but God, I want to catch one musky fever. I think I got it. Laura Shearer, 
Look her up. Google her. Um, she doesn't care about if you follow her on IG, but you can. I do. She's oh my gosh. I love in, I love engaging with people on Instagram too. It's she's not very that I don't engaging. Care. She's awesome. Google her. Check her out. She's going to have her own podcast. I hope soon. Um, my wildly living blog. Wildly I'm also starting blog. a lifestyle brand with wildly living. Talk to me a little bit. That's what it's called. It's going to be apparel. It's going to be home decor because my whole, you know, my whole passion with connection and a lot of that connection happens around a dinner table. And I've always wanted to bring the outdoors in and that I am just underway of launching a home lifestyle brand. So there has been, um, I think, a little bit of a disconnect in in marketing to women that live the lives of of the outdoor lifestyle. But maybe they may not be out there hunting and fishing, but their husbands are. And in their homes are a lot of mounted deer and everything else. And and there isn't as much for them as far as home decor goes as 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 what there is in other genres of of lifestyle brands. So I decided that with my background um, in fashion and design is what I graduated um, from Madison, Wisconsin with that that design major, that I'm going to merge my design and fashion world with my outdoor world together and launch a a brand that um, will bring the connection inside as much as it is outside. Well, cool, man. Congrats. Thank you. We're I working mean, on I it. I mean, well, cool woman. Congrats. So like <laughs> if we can ever help with that, just let us know. Like, Thank that's you. Cool. I we, appreciate I wanna, that. We want to learn more. So it's going to be Wildly Living. Wildly Living will be the brand. Yes. By Laura Shira. By Laura Shira. Check her out. Check her dad out. Minnesota. We will be at Zach Brown tomorrow at Target Field. There's so much to do here in the land of lakes. Um, is that what it's called? Land of 10,000? Land, land of 10,000. But in fact, I believe there's almost 15,000 lakes here. 15,000 lakes. Endless fishing opportunities. Do you know how to drive a boat? Barely. No, I'm just kidding. No, I do. But I don't own a boat. I'm a city girl. So as much as I, I, I work and live in the outdoors, I actually am a city dweller. So I love both sides. That's why I'm like bipolar with my worlds of city and country and Fashion in the outdoors. So I actually don't have any place to park about. <laughs> but then again, I don't have to mow a lawn either. So it's a good trade-off. I got it. That's yeah. a good, good way to look at it. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. If you have any last words, get them out now. Going I once. Think, I think I'm, I'm we good. Thank it? you. We covered it. I think we covered the gamut. I'd love to come back. So thank you for having me. Those yeah, will be sure. my final words. We're going to do it. Thank you for being here. Laura Shira, L-A-U-R-A-S-C-H. A-R-A. A-R-A. Laura Shara. Tom, if you'll do me a favor, before that, check us out. We're going to have a, before we leave Minnesota, we're going to do another great podcast with Mitch Petrie, who is part of the programming department at the Outdoor Sportsman Group. He leads it up. He is the hammer, a good friend of ours, and an absolute wizard when it comes to the industry of outdoor yes. TV. We're going to be talking with Mitch soon. He was our guide today. So I'm going to compare his outdoor TV skills and programming to his fishing guide skills. That's what we're going to talk about <laughs> on our podcast. But on the Outdoor Channel right now, we have season 10 of the Foul Life airing. We're very proud of season 10 and being able to last that long in outdoor TV. The space is different th today than it was when we started 10 years ago in 2008. That's what we're going to discuss with Mitch, P Mitch Petrie coming up on this Life Ain't For Every podcast, as well as new episodes um, airing weekly on the Outdoor Channel. And uh, find that on your local sur uh, supplier. It's hard to find content. I don't know where. Where is it at now, Mitch? It's uh, Dish, Direct, Cable, Spectrum, Hulu, uh, Sling. You can, huh? Roku. You can find the Outdoor Channel anywhere. So check it out. We got new episodes plus other top producers up there that are, have great content this year. New episodes of this podcast, This Life Ain't For Everybody, coming soon, as well as new Foul Life Apparel on the Foul Life 
Com store and we uh, are going to be excited to launch a couple more brands so stay tuned laura Shearer, thank you so much tom please go ahead and play that song by the one and only leith lofton what you going to do when the money's all gone thank you guys for this life ain't for everybody and for laura Shearer, i'm chad belding see you next time because i'd rather be poor living off in a hole than rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't last too long So what you gonna do when the money's all gone? I'd rather be poor living off in a hole Than rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Say life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do? The money's all gone